Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, February 10th. We are here live. It's time for an episode of Trucking Technology and Efficiency. I've got Joel and Henry with me. I don't think John's going to make it today. We'll hear from these guys, and then we will get to your calls and questions. Anything goes. If you want to jump in and join us, if you've got a question, a comment, a topic, Pick up the phone and get in now, 855-950-3835. I'm just bringing everybody in at the same time this morning, and we might as well just start talking over each other right from the beginning. Good morning, guys. (laughs) Hey, good Good morning, morning, Kevin. (laughs) Hey, there we go. We can just all talk at the same time. I love it. (laughs) So, uh, Henry, you're up first today. What's on your mind? Time. It's it's kind of funny. We think of time. We think of efficiency. You slow down. You're more efficient. Of course, you don't make as much time. And and it really hit home for me. I was on my way back with a load to home from the Midwest Truck Show in Peoria. And the second leg of it, it for some reason, I always end up with these runs that you can make in two days flat with not much time to spare. But on day two of it, I had 38 minutes to spare to get home and enjoy my time at home. I'm like, all right, this is going to be okay. Except for during my route, three tractor trailers managed to roll over and hit two rush hours. So, <laughs> you know, so for all the best of late yeah. plans, the, the bad part about it was at the beginning, I got myself where I had, and I had my GPS set a little detrimental on the time. And, I got to where I had 45 minutes to spare till all this started happening. Uh, ended up having to take a 10-hour break, 45 minutes from the house. Of course, uh, I had a lot of people say that you could have had um, extended your time because, you know, none of this could have been seen and all that. And I got to looking at the exact definition of that. And, well, every day my delays are unexpected. so. To me, that really didn't fly. <laughs> right. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and the bad part was I had a five-minute violation on my logs the day before because I had it planned out with five minutes to spare, and I was timing it out as I got in because there was other alternatives to stop at a truck stop in Muskegee. And when I got there, it was all blocked off with concrete blocks and no truck parking from a place that used to be truck parking. It was closed down. And I had to turn around and backtrack about a mile and a half up the road. So I wasn't about to have myself with two violations and two days in a row for all that and be to the roadside person if you got checked up to their discretion. But my, my point is, you know, time has a value. We think of fuel. We think of time. And I, and I run into it on my regular run. It's 1,382 miles. And if you hit all your marks and your timing right, I can do it in two days each way, take my 10-hour break there, and it cuts out a full 10-hour break getting me home earlier to be able to do other things, whether it's take another run or just enjoy my time with my family and home. So efficiency as far as time, fuel, where do we mark it all out? Because the one thing we have in life of value is time. And that's halfway my rant. You know, 
You know, I, it's interesting because one of the articles I bookmarked to talk about today um, talked about the congestion problems and traffic, how it's getting worse every year, not better, especially around the cities. And they talked about the average speed. They they did this average speed on a run, and it hit a couple, you know, more so this is worse, obviously, on the eastern half of the country. But the average speed turned out to be like 36 and a half miles an hour. And and what happens, you know, we I think we think about this wrong. We think, oh, my God, if there's all these backups and slowdowns and all this stuff, then when I can run hard, I just have to run really hard to make up for it. The problem with that is it doesn't work. You still end up in the same backup. We've all done it where, you know, you have people racing you from light to light. No matter how hard they try, they never get any farther ahead of you. That's what happens when you try rushing to make up for these backups. What we have to realize is, unfortunately, our infrastructure sucks and our traffic gets worse every year. And that does affect our time. But trying to run really hard doesn't make up for much. It, it, it's amazing, Kevin, on my regular run from Laredo to Charlotte that I take most of the time. More often than not, through proper timing of when I leave, keeping in mind when you'll hit these cities, it slow you down. And I've been doing a lot more running at night because of that, which isn't that nice of time necessarily. It's nice traffic-wise, but yeah, you're it, out it's there hard alone, on your body. Which and it's, yeah. it's hard on your body. It's not good for a human to be up all night. It's just not. So, you know, not enough value to put on time. <laughs> yeah. You know, having said that, me knowing how unhealthy it is to screw up your um, your sleep-wake cycle that bad, but I honestly think if I went back to driving right now, I would probably set up my operations so I could do most of my driving at night. It's more peaceful. It's kind of lonely yeah. sometimes. And, and, but. It, well, like you said, it, it, time is important, and that's about the only thing we can do to, to kind of – now, there's another thing you can do if you control enough your operation. You can spend time in parts of the country where you don't have all those slowdowns. You know, right. there, there are places right. where you can – you know, the more time you spend out west, the less you deal with this. It's when you get into the Midwest and the East Coast. The farther east you get, the worse it gets. Um, but it, it, you're right. Time is that important, and we don't have nearly as much control over time as we do over the other factors. So you got to get really good at managing your time. You know, I, I, when I started driving, my first – couple of years. My first year was completely local, home every night, you know, 15, 20, some days 30 stops in a day and about 200 miles, which is a lot of driving. It's a lot of backing up. It's a lot of traffic. Uh, my second year was more regional. I was probably gone two and three days at a time, and then I'd get back um, and spend all that time on the East Coast. I think that was just a really good way to get started. I got really good at time management because that was about all that mattered. In, a, in an operation, a daily operation with 30 stops, time management is the single most important thing you can do to be more efficient. So I, for me, it was like that intensive first year of learning how to manage your time well. And, and I can identify with that because my first driving job was in food service 
And oh yeah, that's a tough one. Every my Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays were my long haul days. Which, when I say long haul, you went two fifty out about and two fifty back. But particularly on Thursdays, which they used to never like when I took vacations on that day because they had to send two trucks out because I knew every shortcut. And matter of fact, there was a dirt road that I knew of that cut 45 minutes off the trip. But on Thursdays, <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd have 28 stops, and, and half these places thought that they should reorganize their cooler and rotate their stock when I was delivering fresh iced chicken and wax boxes, which, so it was heavy too. So Yeah. Some places not even a dock, but yeah, twenty eight stops on Thursdays. It was it was huge, so I you couldn't miss a beat. Yeah, we've got a crazy food service stop here in our town. It's so small, we're familiar with everything. We have uh, uh, down on the the river, the waterfront, down where the locks are, and that we have a couple restaurants down there. The problem is there's a really really low bridge to get down to that part of it where you need to get to. So the food service truck has to park before the bridge and then they bring a pickup truck out and they throw everything and they have to make multiple trips in oh. and out. What a pain in the ass some of those stops are when you're doing food service. Uh, Kevin, I'm really familiar with it. My, my wife, Lisa, worked for U.S. Foods for like 18 years, 20 years almost, I think. So. You, you remind me of a story right now. So this was up around What's Lancaster, that? Pennsylvania, and there was a railroad bridge near High Steel that was low. And by cutting through there, it was one of them deals where you cut off five minutes. It was on the Thursday run that was so harsh. And my truck was in the shop for breaks, and I was in another truck. Of course, you got all into the rhythm of doing this 28 stops. And, and I was cruising down towards that bridge. And I realized I wasn't in my normal truck that was a little bit lower, and the one I was in would not clear that bridge. And <laughs> I was pretty close to that bridge before I realized that, and I got stopped before hitting the bridge. But I was like, wow. <laughs> but, you know, you were caught up in the moment of I, hitting your marks. I had a friend, uh, this is like my first couple years of driving, when I had that local job, and this guy we had met – a bunch of the local drivers, we'd go in, get our trailer, get our bills, and if we had enough time, we'd hit the little truck stop kind of restaurant right there in Richfield, Ohio, and we'd have breakfast every morning, and one of the other guys was a car hauler, and he just kind of started hanging out with us, and guy um, had tons of experience, too, as a car hauler. This is such a horrible story. Um, he would take, at, at the end of one of his runs, he would take the tractor home with nothing on it. He would just bobtail the tractor home. And he had a low bridge. And I don't remember exactly why, but he wasn't able to get the car off the tractor one time. And he said it was just one of those days. Everything was going wrong. He was heading home. He was fighting with his wife. And he forgot about the car up there. The tractor could so make a convertible bridge. And he had, he had been doing it for years. But, uh, yeah, he didn't quite make it with the car up there. So he started up a new business as a convertible conversion yeah. company? That's right. 30-second convertibles. That was the name of it. <laughs> so I've, I've got a different solution than than uh, probably what we've talked about in terms of the whole time management thing. Um, and this is part of the reason why I, I don't care typically for dedicated runs because they want to push you to the limit on timing or you want to push yourself on the limit 
because you're you you want to get that extra little bit of time at home. So yeah, you know, I do irregular routes, and I spend more time on the load board trying to find loads that obviously have a decent rate that aren't pushing you to the limit like that. So I can I can run my my speed and not have to you know run balls to the wall and and I don't think it's healthy I think you're right Kevin when you're driving at night it's it's not good for you especially as we get older and uh it's just you know I've done dedicated stuff in the past when I was younger and you know you're thinking oh the great home time and this and that and to me it's, <laughs> right. it's just miserable because you're you run yourself ragged to to get there and and then pretty much all you want to do is sleep when you get there and you're in a grumpy ass mood anyway. So you know, I was like, what's, what's the point? And then I tried to local stuff you like you and it, it was the 20, 30 stops and you run yourself ragged again. And you know what? I like to sleep and I guess I'm just too damn lazy to do that stuff anymore. Yeah. I just want to take my time and do what I do. Well, no, that's, know, that's a great token, point. You know, it's self-inflicted because I can take what I can take whatever run I want. And, and this particular run, I hit two docks a week. I have one block of deadhead a week. And most weeks, when it all works out, I work four and I'm off three. So I, I have no complaints on that. But you have to do your time yeah. right to not put yourself under pressure. Yeah, you know, one of the best examples of this was when I had line haul, dedicated line haul runs at FedEx. So when I was in Orlando, we had uh, – either five or six trucks a day, depending on how much freight we had, um, go from Orlando to Richmond Hill, Georgia, and we would meet a truck coming out of Charlotte. That was one of our best runs out of Orlando. It was like 540 some miles a day. Uh, every day in your home every night is an excellent run, one of the top runs there on the board. And we four of them were dedicated, and the last two were just extras. So I had number two and number four dedicated. Um, and some days, like I said, there were six trucks running this. So it's a long day, 500 and some miles, got to wait and swap trailers at the other end. And these guys would, you know, come in at the last minute when their trailers were ready. They tear out of there, run 80 miles an hour the whole way. And that was their thought. Oh, I'm not spending any more time out here than I have to because I'm going home tonight. And I want to be home as soon as I can. And yet with all that rushing around, you know, my truck's 57 miles an hour, 63 miles an hour with the driver in them. Nobody made up any extra time. You know, we'd, we'd get there a little early in the morning, so you have more time to get ready, and you're not rushing around. And when the trailer doors close, you leave. And then, you know, these guys come in at the last minute. They'll come flying by us on the way up there. Somehow they'd end up passing me twice. I'm like, who the hell stops twice in 500 miles? But it seems like they did it every day. And at the end of the day, really, they weren't leaving the yard and going home any sooner than we were. Now, I, I've done lots of studies on, on this with, with speed, average speed. And when you look at your cruise set speed, um, the faster you go, the bigger the delta is between yeah, the average. That's and right. people don't understand that. And it gets pretty significant oh, yeah. on the East Coast. It does. Once you get out around 70 mile an hour. I mean, your your average speed a lot of times because of traffic and whatnot is in the very low 60s, high 50s. And when I run 57, a lot of times I can average 56. Um, so they, you, they would, you've this, really got to understand that. This article was, this article was claiming yeah. 
This article is claiming the average speed in those areas was 36. Well, we, we bump into that in New England and on the eastern seaboard between Baltimore to yeah. Boston. And, and you do see 36s. Um, for years and yeah. years, our East Coast dispatch average was 47. And there were times when you were pressed with an average of 47. <laughs> right. So I, I right. completely get that. And, and now we've got a, a – well, my brother, he's got a relatively sophisticated uh, – dispatch system where it takes into account sections of the country and then it adjusts the oh, wow. average dispatch speed so when they're picking it up things work a little bit but and if you don't have that stuff you just set yourself up for disaster it it, it you know puts the drivers hey, you under don't... a lot of undue stress and whatnot and so yeah it, 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 it's funny so you just... say the average speeds i'll never forget helping a salesman young salesman he was specking out a truck it was here in texas they want to be eighty thousand pounds and run 75 mile an hour. And they had their old truck there to trade in. I said, let's go download the computer on that truck and see what their real average speed is. Because the faster they say they want to run, usually the farther away from their average speed they are. And in that particular case, when we got into the engine reports on that truck, the average speed was, are you ready for this? Seven miles per hour. <laughs> a lot of idle time and whatnot. Yeah. No, right. no. Yeah. It turned out it was it was a beverage delivery truck. They wanted oh, to run seventy five yeah. for maybe an hour a day, and the rest of the day it was in town, and it was running back empty. So all those figures they gave him to spec it on were completely wrong. Just wrong. Hey, Joel, I want to go back to something you just said because I had a thought. One of the things I've been really into for the last uh, couple of months, about two months, since I was in Vegas, I got access to that the artificial intelligence systems they're all starting to get rolled out now and you can do different things with them they can be programmed the first ones are basically based on text you know you you can ask this artificial intelligence to write something write an article write a story um you can even say things like i want you to write a story in the in the voice and not the voice but like the the mentality or the thought process of bill murray or, or anybody you want mm -hmm. you know they need to be somewhat famous so you know that sure. but it, it actually does this it writes a story as though it were that person you named and the story is wow. completely original if you ask it twice it will never write the same article twice it is it, it's really wow. pretty incredible now if you cool. use it you can also use artificial intelligence like a search engine. You can ask it questions. I don't mm -hmm. recommend doing that. Here's what it's like, really. I, I want to try to help people understand what this artificial intelligence really is. There's so much to this. And, and remind me at the end of this story to come back to what you talked about, your brother's dispatch system, because that's mm -hmm. the point to all this. But I'll get off in the weeds and forget it. Um, so. Here's what I found already. If you use this like a search engine, you ask it questions, you might as well sit around the liar's counter and ask them questions. It's the same thing. You get all kinds of goofy answers out of these things. Because most of the time, if we think about it, are we always dealing with absolute facts? Or are we most of the time really dealing with a lot of gray area and opinions? Right. Generalities. That's that's exactly right. Right. Yes. Everybody puts their own so little spin just, on something. So just remember, if you're dealing with one of these artificial intelligence kind of search engines, ask it a question. 
think of it as a human being because that's kind of what happened. It's not everything isn't fact. So you're going to get all kinds of crazy opinions from these things. So I don't like that use of them at all. But there are some really good uses. I'm already starting it to use it to help me write because I hate writing. I absolutely hate it. I've been talking about this for years. I know I need to write more because I've got all this information. I need to figure out how to get it out. I can either talk or I can write. You really need to do both. This thing is incredible at writing because if we think about what writing is, there are rules for writing, right? You have to put a comma here. You shouldn't end a sentence sure. with a preposition. It's all rule-based. So that's 90% of writing. Well, that's easy to program. The other 10%, the creativity part of it. There's even formulas for writing ad copy. You know, there's a, you, you get people interested, then you create a desire, and then you give them a solution. I mean, there's, there's formulas for sure. writing good copy and stories. So these, these artificial intelligence bots that have been taught to write, they're really incredible. I mean, th they can knock out a, you know, thousand word article in two minutes and it's really wow. good. It, it meets all the, the right rules and uses the right grammar. And it's, so that's a pretty incredible use. So I've been also looking around what are other good uses for this technology? I swear 90% of the people are going to use this technology wrong and it's going to be a disaster. Um, sure. But there's some really good uses. I just got thinking about this. It's possible to turn loose a, an artificial intelligence bot or program on all of your brother's dispatch data forever, and it will start finding efficiencies. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely. really, well, yeah, think that, about that. This. Would be, Joel, how that much would be time? Cool. How much time do you spend trying to analyze data? Uh, exactly. You could not afford to pay somebody to do what one of these bots could do because it would literally take a human years and years to do it. And, yes. you know, right. Jesus, think of the cost involved there. And you put a sick so, bot on that, boom, blow right through it. And that that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I never so, even thought about that. So what if we do that with all of the data we have between you and I and Hendry and your drivers, your your data at Alpha Drivers and we take all of that data and we load it in and turn the bot loose and say, look for things we can't find. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, just, just the, the whole fuel gauges thing. Turn one loose in there. Get that organized. We're I mean, already, we, we were looking at that. We're already yeah, working we, we on We were it. looking yep. at that and trying, <laughs> yep. trying to put a person on that. I had Alec looking at that, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is going to cost me a fortune. I don't yeah. think we can go you, any further on this. So, well, technically, yeah. you could you could pay somebody eight hours a day for the, and they could work on that data forever, but you can't afford it. That just doesn't right. make sense. Exactly. You could. It's there's, there's cost prohibitive. Right. Yes. Right. So told, here we go. Told Alec, that's a full time job right there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wow, is. Wow. That, yeah. That's so awesome. we're. We're already it working on it. To, it comes back to what we were talking about. There's only so much time before we're out of time. We're, we're also looking at, you know, I said that using artificial intelligence as a search engine is a bad idea. And I mean generally. But we're already looking at, I just, Darren and I just talked about this yesterday, 
using artificial intelligence in our podcast app as a search tool. So now why, why would that be different than search? Well, if you use it as a search tool and it searches the entire internet, who the hell knows what answer you're going to get? But if we use it to search just our podcast data, that's pretty powerful. I mean, we could, yeah. you know, we could have a voice search where you could, you know, hit a button on your phone and say, um, I want to know about, you know, oil samples with ISX engines. And it'll bring up right. the calls every time, every call that talked about, you know, an ISX engine and oil samples or whatever topics you want to put together. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So if you can use it as a search engine on a closed set of data that you know the data is good and you want to know more about that data, that's a good use of it. But these general, right. you know, go ask it a question about what's better, the carnivore diet or the vegan diet, and you're going to get all kinds of wild answers, well, just like if you ask 10 people. You know, they used to say with computers, you know, bullshit in, bullshit out, and if you don't have a clean yeah. data stream, that's exactly what, what it's going to, it's going to just bring you back a bunch of bullshit, but if you have, like I said, a clean data stream, then you're going to get something that's useful, but it's all going to depend on how clean that data is, no doubt. That's pretty cool. What? Yeah, so I've been, uh, one other topic I wanted to talk about, let me go check the phones. I haven't even been watching the phones through all this. I thought we, the three of us were just talking here. Um, I forgot we're actually doing a radio show. Uh, we do have a call. We'll get to it here in a second. Here's another topic. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because I'm going to do a recorded show on this. I'll probably take one of my commentaries and just do it on this topic. Um, there's some, there, there's talk again about, you know, trying to write some bills. The TIA is pushing for some changes in regulations around double brokering. And they got very specific about what they're going after. Double brokering, the term gets thrown around all the time. Anymore, I don't even know if there is a clear definition of what double brokering is. But the TIA, I'd like the, the definition they put on it. Here's what double brokering technically isn't, but everybody thinks it is, and it's happened for so long that you might as well just keep using the word this way because it's the way everybody looks at it. They think if there are two brokers involved in the transaction, that that's double brokering. That's not true. Two brokers can work on the same load together all day long if they want. There's nothing illegal about that, and it's not double brokering. Well, but what do we like it? Well, not really. I mean, now there's two people that have to, that are going to take a piece out of this load. So I'd rather not do that, but it's not illegal. It happens all the time, and it's technically not double brokering. Here's what double brokering is. A carrier takes a load from a broker and then mm -hmm. brokers that load to another carrier. That's double brokering, and it's illegal because the carrier can't broker freight. They don't have broker authority. That's right. what we're really trying to stop. And the, and the way this scam works is carrier one, and you would say, well, why would a carrier even do this? Well, the big reason you do it, you don't do it to try to get a little piece of the commission out of there. What they're doing, the worst cases are the carrier takes the load, goes to one of these quick pay companies, turns in the invoice and gets paid for it. Then they broker it to somebody else. 
That's mm. true double brokering, and that's what's killing the industry. That's the one we've got to stop. And these guys can get away with this for about 30 days, and then it, then it catches up to them, but they just shut the company down and go start a new one. Yeah, but my thought is if you stop the the true double brokering, that's going to – what is lease operators in their tracks because you're essentially a carrier is given a load to a leased operator. That's a carrier given a load to a carrier they potentially took from a broker, I guess. Maybe it was direct freight, so maybe it doesn't apply. Uh, no, now a carrier, a carrier can get a load from a broker and give it to one of its leased owner operators because that, that they're not a carrier. Operators suppose, they're supposedly independent, though, aren't they? Or they want to be classified yeah, but they, as independent. See, you know, you know what confuses this whole topic, and I keep saying this, and nobody believe or, or listens to me. They look like I have three heads. Why do we still have authority? Why does that whole system even exist? Well, listen, I know why I I like my authority rather than being leased onto a company just for the No, wait, no, wait a minute. Wait, wait. I don't think you're understanding what I'm saying. Why does the whole process of authority exist at all? Why does anybody need authority? If I want to go open a restaurant, I don't need permission from the government. I, I don't need authority. Oh you know, no! I, yeah, I, I get. I get what you're saying there. You need a it's, food. It's a li- you need a license. Correct. I'm okay with that. But this is a stupid, outdated system. Authority was created in the beginning for a regulated freight system, where the government yeah. would control who could move freight in what lanes, because what in the price, beginning, yeah. It, yes, in the beginning we looked at this and we said, wow. Building a company where you could move freight from the East Coast to the West Coast, and we're talking back in the 40s, that was a huge risk to try to cover that, to, to put all that investment in. So we said, look, we, in order to get this industry going, we have to take the risk out. And the way you take the risk out is you control the supply of trucks and trailers and who can move freight. Then the prices go up. That protects the company's profit. And at some point, the industry was big enough that we said, look, nobody needs that protection anymore. It's easy to start a trucking company. It's not even that risky. So we got rid of the regulated part of the rates. Why did we leave the authority process there? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. No, you're, you're right. It doesn't. And then it creates all these confusions around authority. Who's allowed to move a load? Who, just get rid of the damn authority process and treat us like every other business. Right. No, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. So I'm going to there, – there was a ton of really good stuff. So like I said, I'll probably do, just do a recording on that that article they did a – TIA did a great job of putting this together and writing it up. I may even get somebody from the TIA. We work pretty closely with them to come on and do that show with me. Nice. Hey, real quick, and Henry will appreciate this. I'll try to keep this quick. I am putting together a series of spreadsheets and charts that is going to look specifically at um, percentage of gross vehicle weight on axles with different 
configurations as far as six by two, six by fours, and how wheelbase affects Ackerman geometry. Um, I think there's a hell of a lot of confusion out there when we say, oh, look, today's new six by twos do much better, you know, and, and nobody explains why. And I can mathematically show why they do so much better than an old tag axle setup. And I can also show what's happening with these really long wheelbase six by fours. You know, what happens to Ackerman geometry, understeer, oversteer, the, you know, the percentage of weight on each axle position influences how a truck handles. And I think I can lay this out in a form that will give people a whole lot of confidence and understanding in what each configuration is ultimately capable of um, out in the real world. Hey, Joel. Joel. Okay. Yes. <laughs> can I add? Can I add some work to your project? Sure. Can you throw you in? Uh, yeah. Can you throw in a four by two? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I I'll a, show you. I, I'll show you. I'll show you on these four by twos. I remember when you had the idea of putting a real heavy front axle and. I'll show you what happens right. with Ackerman and what happens when we get into the snow and, and slippery conditions and and uh, relate that to some of the issues they have in Europe when they have the trucks out of southern Europe that are the short 4 by 2s with the triaxle trailers and they get up into Scandinavia and they end up sideways yeah. in the ditch. Yep. And uh, okay. I'll be able to wanna... show, and ex show and explain all of that. You know, hey, I just thought of oh. something. And and I want to come back to that that project, but you know when when I still had trucks at FedEx and you know doing what I do, I've had haters forever, and they used to love to try to target me with the whole FedEx thing. Oh yeah, you belong to that company. They're all they're in the ditch all winter long. Nobody, none of those guys know how to drive. They're crashing all over in the winter time. Well, wait a minute. So is UPS and Yellow. They're pulling doubles with <laughs> tiny little short four by twos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one part of yeah. it. The other part is that is the companies that the other part of it that people don't get. The companies that pull doubles like that are all really, really, really big companies with lots of trucks and lots of miles. Of yeah, course, you're right. going to see them in the ditch yes. more often. It's just the numbers. Yes, yes well, absolutely. But, but when we think about it, you've got that short four by two, and then you've got a short converter dolly, and those are your two well, weak then, points that that then you, makes you start that really to look tough. at the percentage of the gross on each axle, and that's going to dictate traction when things start to get slippery. There's just no way around and, that. You know, we all know as and, as drivers, the heavier we are, the easier it is to drive in the snow because your traction's better. Well, and when you start to break that down as a percentage in each axle position, this stuff becomes very apparent what that truck's going to do. And then you just start to take now, the wheelbase impact on Ackerman and things get very self-explanatory. Well, it, now, if you get a chance, plug, plug, hey, Henry, hold on a second. Plug, plug this in, Joel, if you can. I don't know if they've fixed this or not, but at FedEx, when I was still there, we had no idea what either one of our trailers weighed, none. We had no indication of weight at all. All we knew was the percentage it was loaded to. 
It was 30% loaded. It was 100% loaded. So you would get that heavy trailer in the back and you didn't know it until you hooked it up and tried driving it. Yes, and that's problematic, no doubt. Oh, you get that heavy trailer in the back, it's awful. You put the you put the heavy weight in the back. It starts to swing back and forth, and then you're in a short <laughs> truck that has very fast input to steering. And yeah, it's uh, it is definitely a problem. And, and we can show this mathematically. And I think it's important for people to understand when they're going to spec a truck. Here's what happens when I spec a six by four. Here's what happens when I believe I can only put twelve thousand pounds on the front axle and. A prime example of this yesterday coming up to the center of Wisconsin, and this dude in the stretched out Western Star, it, it probably was a 300, 300 inch wheelbase, you know, old school, it had the big stacks and all the nonsense on it. And he must have been empty, <laughs> running a reefer, blows by me out in the, in the fast lane, and, you know, 10 miles up the road, he's jackknifed, and that's what got me thinking about this. So I just started playing with some numbers, and when you look at the percent of gross on a long wheelbase truck, that has that fifth wheel slid back with a big, huge gap, you've got no weight on that front axle. and But it's, yeah. it's misleading because the Ackerman geometry, you have less drag when you turn side to side, so it feels a little more stable, but it's it's, it's kind of misleading. And then you got that long nose out there, and you feel invincible, so what do you do? <laughs> you put it out in the freaking fast lane and hammer down when you're empty. You end up sideways in the ditch. Of course you do. So. Yeah. Uh-huh. So here's the here's yeah. the scenario. I had a caller the other day, um, dedicated run. He's had it for a while. Excellent run. Um, flatbed, I think, open deck. Um, it's like he's like sixty thousand pounds gross on this run, and then empty on the way back. So fifty percent mm-hmm. empty, sixty thousand gross. And I said, I know this sounds a little crazy. In this industry, we we always want to spec trucks to do everything. You know, and, and you can't. If you want to spec to pull everything, you've compromised everything. I'm, I've always been, and, and there's some risk in this, but I, I said I would consider building a 4 by 2 for this and maybe a spread axle flatbed, and let's, let's put four axles on the ground. Um, and if we put a lift on the trailer when you're running back empty, we can put three on the ground, and it seems efficient. But then there's that law of unintended consequences. What are what else might we be screwing up when we do this? Yeah, there's a there's a right. lot of things at play there. And honestly, you know, everybody likes to talk about the Europeans being so advanced when it comes to this aspect of things. Honestly, our arrangement with the longer wheelbase trucks and you know with the groupings on the tandems, the way that we have them. If we have a forward lift on the truck and a forward lift on the trailer, so we're loading endpoints, you know, you just said we're always compromising stuff. The only compromise you're going to get into at all when we have this right is a little bit of weight. It enables us to run everything across the board with a very high degree of efficiency with a lot of tractive potential. Um, we are a little bit heavier when we add the, the axles versus a 4 by 2 but we're, we're so much more versatile. And then the resale on that truck um, is, is a whole lot better than a 4 by 2 because you're so limited. Like you said, it's almost like a direct drive transmission. Very, very efficient, but in a very narrow operating range. And that's what happens with the 4 by 2 as well. But I think, I think this is going to be eye-opening to a hell of a lot of people. 
And when it comes to the six by two specifically, when we're talking about a pusher instead of a tag, the impact of front axle capacity and what that does to the equation is something that a lot of engineers don't even get their mind around. And you know, after I rolled through this stuff initially, I pushing for a 15-2 front axle because it's amazing what that will do for axle uptime and what it does for your percentage of the gross out on the steer and what your tractive um, abilities become at that point. Um, it's just it's just flat out amazing, really. And when you start to factor in these wider front tires that I've got with the lower rolling resistance and how that impacts things, uh, the six by two the American version of the 6x2 just becomes a really awesome machine. And I don't think anybody has really went through those numbers to the degree that I'm going to lay them out there. Um, I've know, never seen talked it. To a lot of, I, I've talked to a lot of engineers that, you know, they are, they're looking at that, they're going, holy shit, you know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> it's, going, to be, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. And I like it. Uh, what's really nice about this is that it applies to the electric trucks in order for them to get the efficiency, we're going to have to lift the axle oh, yeah. running six by two yeah, configure. So there's a lot of interest in it because it does apply to electric and they don't feel like they're working on something that's on its way out you know the door. That, so it's pretty cool. You know, the, the, the flexibility that an electric truck will bring to this equation is you, if you're starting from scratch and designing, you can almost pick and choose where you want to put weight on a tractor. Yes, and and this goes back to axle capacities, and you know for years we're so used to the twelve five or thirteen two. When when I started running fourteen six, you know everybody lost their mind. What are you doing running in and out of a mine, and, and you know all this kind of bullshit? And it's no, it's all about weight transfer. And and honestly, right. I think with an eighty thousand pound capacity, fifteen two is the right capacity for a fully optimized six by two with the bigger tires like I'm running up front. Um, it just enables a whole, it, it allows us to keep the gap closed up tight. It gets us the correct percentages of gross on the steer and on the drive axle. It gets us maximum axle uptime. It just does a whole lot of things and it's going to do it very, very well. I have a question for you. Um, how many miles is this the first time you've used the um, larger tires on the steer axle? I have tried this multiple times in the past with like 315s, and it never has worked out because I've never found a true highway tire. That's what I was going to uh, ask. That's what this, I, that was my Michelin, concern. Was can it has a decoupler groove and it is a Got true it. highway okay. tire, and it is absolutely phenomenal. And Got not it. only does it, it ride and handle better, the wear is outstanding, but it has 18% lower rolling resistance than what their standard profile steer tire has. And we're filling up the wheel well and improving the aerodynamics on top of it. <laughs> good, good, good point. Um, I never even thought of that one. Henry, did you come up with yeah. that one? Yeah, it sounds like something you'd think of for a while um, on that. But <laughs> now that Joel, the Joel one that which, I, which tire is that specifically? I know I've read it, but I can't is, remember which one it, it was. It's the Michelin um, uh, XZA, and it's it's like the old standard profile XZA tread, and yeah. that tire lasted forever. Yeah. And this one is the same way, no and, irregular wear yet. It's just phenomenal. 
Joe, but don't they use that on buses as well? It's what I I use on my cone generator. Yeah, and they do use it on. Yeah, this is the 365, what was it, 365-70-22-5. I believe that's the profile on it. But it's it's rated uh, to 10,000 pounds aside. So you can put up the 20, obviously, on it. Um, Nice, yeah. And, you know, what I'm finding is we've got an extra groove. So most, what, steer tires have, what, five grooves? This has six. And we have the extra weight that we're putting out there. And I'm telling you, man, this thing this thing is pretty damn impressive in wet and slushy weather where I, everybody I was, was telling say, me it's going to be a problem. Awesome. Joe, oh, have it, you, it, have it you, does. It, yes. Joe, have you, have you looked at, because I know like on the wide base single, there's three mm-hmm. states that you can barely go above 17,000 on them, and a lot of the inch width rules get into it. And isn't it Mississippi mm-hmm. that on their secondary roads you can't be over 12 on a steer no matter what you got there? Well, yes and no. They have to give you X amount of access um, regardless of what the state law is. And I don't know in Mississippi right. exactly what the access law is. Now, you, we do run into some occasion, Mississippi, Louisiana, Wisconsin out on some of the secondary roads at certain times of the year. And at that point you just drop the axle, take the weight off it if you have to. I mean it's it's not a it's not a big deal to do that. But um you are right, um some of these states that have some of the older laws still on the books, but I have never and I've run a whole lot of miles off on secondary roads through those states, I've never had an issue. I don't have my atlas in front of me and on the load biasing, which I'm a big fan of on the tandem with the liftable. Mm-hmm. Connecticut has a weird rule on the books on that that is the axles. Illinois does too. They'll so many feet way, of uh, yes. They can only be so different. Yeah, up to like 2,000 pounds difference. That's all you're allowed between them. Um, so the the logic in your system should accommodate for all the state rules as the weight increase comes down, we bias to a certain degree and then it stops to accommodate the state rules. Um, Now, I don't know about your system. I have what I call an extended traction switch where I can extend that biasing on demand for, uh, you know, snowy situations and whatnot. It's not something that, you know, obviously you want to cross the scales and run every day, but I do have an extended traction that, that will will help you in snowy and icy situations. But that wider front tire is just a godsend up front on the 6x2s if you have high enough capacity axle to to leverage the benefit of it. Yeah, and then you answered the question I was concerned about. Almost all those oversized tires were designed for local aggregate, and yes. they weren't yes. line they weren't line haul tires. They were regional tires designed to handle all the scrubbing, and they didn't perform yep. all that well in a line haul operation. So uh, now, it's awesome to see that that Michelin has a tire for this. The one that I want to bring up is having to pay my. Build my air conditioning fixed at the house, which it's nice to need air conditioning this time of year. But you know, on axle loading and things that were done differently, do you, how many of the people out there remember the old Rider Paymaster, which was designed to be 20 and 20 
on the tractor, had that mid-engine deal, all the funny tab. There's one in the museum out at Walcott. And, you know, the way that part of the strategy behind it was they were able to get the truck light enough that it could end up doing the same payload as a 6x4 with a 4x2. Well, Henry, that's what we were talking about earlier. That's that's what I had been working on that idea of if you've got a dedicated run and, you know, you've got the weights all worked out, does it make sense to have a 4x2? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where they tried to go with the Paymaster, and I always call that trucking's version of the Tucker. Yeah. Because it, it never ended up making it, but what a unique truck in many aspects, and I know – the Freightliner Super Truck One team actually brought the people, the guy in that designed that as a consultant on the Super Truck projects, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Matter of fact, that truck didn't even have the radiators in a normal place. Yeah, one of the well, you know the. Uh, it goes back to obviously when you have a short four by two, it's when you get into slippery hey. and wet and snowy conditions, it's, it's problematic. Hey, hey, Joel, you need to get back in the same room with your phone. I don't know what just happened. Uh, my headset just died on me. I think. Let me see if I can get this to reconnect. Okay. Same thing um, happened to me 15 minutes ago. My <laughs> headset died. It's a conspiracy. Yeah, exactly. They uh, they hear what we're talking about and they're scared. I don't know who they are, but got to be somebody Chinese, maybe. Um, what else? You know what? Let's. Uh, well, Joel's messing around with that, and I didn't have another topic to go to right away. Let's grab a call because Herschel has been patiently waiting. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. How you doing, Bob? Good. What's on your mind? Did it again. I did it again. Try not to do that. Well, I have a... Yeah, uh, but you're first today, so it's okay. That's right. I'm on the pole position. That's right. Everybody thinks this Sunday is the Super Bowl. No, the real Super Bowl is next Sunday, the Daytona 500, for me anyway. Ah. There you go. Um, There you go. I have a Volvo-specific question for Joel, but since he's goofing around, I'll just tell you what happened this week real fast. My company came to me and wanted me to know to do training with new guys. Now we're all owner operators, so it's not I'm not teaching him how to drive his truck, obviously, but I'm teaching him about the mobile applications we use, the ELD we use, and standard operating, what this company does, that kind of thing. So yeah. he has a 04 387P with an ISX 15. And the guy he got it off of had some kind of a handicap problem, had an injury, so he had the standard shift took out and put a 12-speed Eaton Fuller Auto shift in it. Kevin, that thing, oh, my God. Well, I've kind of got used to this high shift now and how it does. That thing cranked up to, like, 1,700, 1,800 RPM, and it would change to the next gear to put it in gear and change gears going forward and backward. It was so cumbersome. Thank God they've made improvements with these things. That thing was a turd. It was horrible (laughs) riding around with him with this thing. And when he would take off, 
I mean, he probably had a dent in his firewall. I mean, it was flat out on the boards. It, unbelievable. He had to be getting five miles a gallon with that thing. It was crazy. I never seen anything like it. Huh. I, I don't know a Billy Big Rigger that winds about that much with an 18-speed. Hell, it was insane. <laughs> <laughs> it was insane. It sounds like it. <laughs> So is is Joe where he can hear us now? I, I, I can Joe, hear you. Back. Yes. There yeah, you go. Oh, you sound right. good too. Uh, Joe. Mm-hmm. As you as you may or may not remember, this thing had to have a camshaft because it's spun a lobe, and they mm-hmm. supposedly put the better in air quotes better cam in it when they did it mm-hmm. at Volvo. It's mm-hmm. been doing awesome. My Fuel mileage lifetime on fuel gauges is 8.19, doing containers, 20-footers. So, I mean, it's been doing great since the camshaft job. I have a very, very basic, very, so basic that I don't think I could explain it, very basic understanding of how a Jake brake works and what it does. Since this camshaft is a weak spot in this engine, now I supposedly have the new one. Do I dare use the Jake or just leave it off because I'm going to spin another lobe on the cam? Well, it's it's not a weak spot with a new cam. They're perfectly fine. Everybody else uses press fit cams nowadays, I believe, as well. Um, so they have that technology figured out. The engine brake on there, as long as they, when they run the overhead, they they set the plungers right, you will not ever have a problem with it. You could run that thing full bore all day long, and it's not going to hurt the cam. So um, as long as you are sure that when they set the overhead after they put the cam in that they took the time to adjust the exhaust plungers, uh, you will have absolutely zero issue. Well, I, I actually talked to them about that when I was I was at the Volvo McMahon that's in London, Ohio. You know, they got London and the one uh-huh. on Fifth Avenue. I was at the yep. one on London. Uh, the guys there actually are members of your group, that Alpha Driver group on the Facebook garbage, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they actually knew who Nick was. They knew all mm-hmm. about the plungers and the Loctite and the whole thing, so I have to take confidence that they really did it that way. If they'd done that, you will not have a problem. Now, the other one for you, I just seen it, I think it was last night or this morning, and I didn't look into detail, and you haven't talked about it yet. You're doing a series about the iTorque. I think it's going to be really interesting. Where do you watch that when you get it all out? Um, yeah, the Volvo uh, Volvo Trucks North America website will have it. Volvo Group website and Facebook and all their social media uh, feeds will have it. It's It'll be on YouTube. Um, and, of course, I'll push it out into all my social media stuff as well. So it'll be on the Volvo Truck YouTube page also? It should, yep. Okay. I, I think it'll be interesting to watch. I was just curious. I didn't catch where you were going to put that out. We had a lot of fun making it. Um, I think people will enjoy it. Uh, you know, I had a had a lot of drivers, you know, that had have more experience than I do. You know, 50 years of experience, get them behind the wheel and, and got their impressions of it. And um, Tim Ridley actually came along with me and, you know, went for went for an extended ride in it, and um, 
it was kind of fun to get everybody's feedback and their thoughts and Tim and Ridley. I haven't and, heard uh, that name in a yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah, he we got we got yeah, him out the old there. Martin and, transport it, it, guy that went to work for Nemo. Yep, yep, yep absolutely. So yeah, I, I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, it's uh, was was a lot of fun to make, and we got out around out on the salt flats, and we got to do some high speed stuff out there, and then we went up, you know, around snow mass up into the ski areas, and you know, pulled some really really steep mountain grades that you know typically a truck isn't going to be on, and and uh, you know the whole time we were we were loaded out to seventy six thousand pounds gross on it, and uh, it was just a whole lot of fun getting to meet all the people and uh, just to get to spend some time out around that area and you know you always thought about man if i ever got this out on the salt flat what could i do with it and yeah so we answered that question it was, it was pretty fun <laughs> you, know, you know how for years and years and years anybody that's been around for a long long time you walk by the grill of a truck that is running and you can say that's a series 60 that one's an m14 mm. that's a caterpillar mm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. when yeah. i was with that guy in that 04 pete with that isx when I walk by the, I've never been in a truck with an ISX, so I total new experience. Man, when you walk by the grill on that thing, it sounds like a caterpillar. At least that one did. <laughs> I wonder if they shared the what's Joel call it, engine architecture from. Wonder if they took the they old are, cats and kind of looked similar. at it and kind of and kind of copied some stuff. Because man, that thing they are like a thirty-four oh six. They are. They are similar. They yeah. have a long connecting rod, um, and uh, so yeah, it's it's very similar. Um, the biggest that's difference why probably similar. the top end. The ISX just way too complicated on the top end. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm afraid of that engine. I, I don't know. I'm afraid. I think maybe it's red because you bleed blood from all the repair you have to do on the thing. <laughs> Hey, one of the cool things in the video talking about a, a caterpillar is we'd hired a guy that had a, a W9 with like a 700 horsepower T15. And uh, watch when the video comes out, you'll be impressed what happens when we get out on the on the straightaways and we open them up and see oh, what I'll all bet. that horsepower I'll does bet. for you. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's, it's 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 pretty cool. I'll bet. All right, guys. I'll let, right, you be, let you get to another one. Have a good weekend. All right. Thanks for the call. Have a great weekend. Let's go to Mississippi. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning, gentlemen. Lucky for What's you, though, I'm uh, parked right now, so I have my atlas in front of me. And this <laughs> is from 2015. <laughs> so I don't replace this very often anymore. Um, I found three states that have the state steering axle limit at 12,000. That's mm-hmm. Indiana, I... Louisiana, and Mississippi. And then Wisconsin is 13,000, and all the rest are higher. Mm-hmm. And, and that, is, that is true. Didn't, didn't we determine they, they, they're not allowed to enforce that? Uh, they, well, not they have to give you access. Florida. Yeah, on federal road, they cannot enforce that. You can run whatever right. the federal right. limits are when you're on an interstate. That's on the secondary yeah. roads, they can enforce it, but they have to give you reasonable access to the road. So essentially, 
Unless right. you're way out in the middle right. of nowhere, <laughs> Indiana, and there's a way station there, and, there's, no, there's no issue. <laughs> I, I can yeah. remember, and this goes way back to when I was first on the air, there was a year, it seemed like, where I was taking calls that these states were writing tickets. And and I said, look, the way I understand this, you should go fight this. That that they're yeah. not that's illegal. They're not allowed to do that. But I remember a year where I got a lot of calls that people were getting tickets in those states, even though they yep. they were technically legal. They had the right equipment, they need met all the right criteria, but they were getting these overweight tickets. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it didn't last long though. The industry fought back yeah. against that pretty quick, and it went away. Even mm-hmm. on that, Kevin, there's a large portion of Pennsylvania. Um, not large portion, but I know in Pennsylvania there's a lot of roads where you can't be 53 foot or 102 wide. Well, that sure, really right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, growing up, Pennsylvania didn't allow doubles. It, I, my dad, I, we lived in Northeast Ohio, so we, my dad drove through Pennsylvania all the time, and he worked for the LTL companies. When you got to Pennsylvania, that's those lots there. You had to drop the trailer and go across yep. the state with a single. They had to send another truck out to take that pup across the state. I always yeah. thought that was thing on Consolidated Freight with their unique solution to that. They had a straight truck with a fifth wheel way right. front on it, and it slid in under it and made it into a straight truck, and then they pulled the other trail. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was all kinds of weird combinations. Um, Roadway had tractors that were four by twos. But Jet they blocks, built them yeah. so that so that the converter dolly would fit into the frame behind your drive axle and mm-hmm. become your tag axle. You use the converter dolly as a tag axle. Mm-hmm. I remember them. Yeah. All right. Like let's the uh, train set up. Yeah, similar. Right. Yep. Right. So, um, the oh, reason what else for you my got, call, Matt? You're talking about time management, and this is more fuel economy than it is time. Joel, you used to talk about uh, moments of inertia. Mm-hmm. Have you or Henry ever kind of done the math on taking a shortcut and getting off where there's stoplights? For every red light you hit, how much fuel you burn to get don't come to a stop and get rolling again. I, yeah, it's it, it shortcuts. If if your time is the most critical aspect, they make a lot of sense. Uh, for fuel, they almost never do. Um, if you're very, very, very light on the pedal and you're trying to time things, it's a hell of a lot of work and effort, and you're probably still going to be upside down. So I typically um, avoid them. They almost never work out in terms of, if you're looking at the whole trip, I saved 45 miles by going this way, but I had more stops. Does it work out in your favor? It almost never does in my cases that I've I've looked at. Um, but I'm not so time sensitive either. I'm I'm more concerned with the fuel efficiency part of it than the the actual yeah. get me home early type thing. One of the few yeah. of them that makes any sense to me, where I take the other route. Just when I'm heading up to New Jersey, taking 5301 instead of going through Baltimore. And, boy, I used to never want to do that one at the beginning, and I ran that all the time till I ran it once, and then that became the only way I went unless I needed to go through Baltimore. So there's exceptions to every rule, but 
Sure. There's nothing sod fields compared to looking at Baltimore. Yeah, and that's what I'm yeah, it, trying. And it, it, one of mine's a yeah, twenty it, mile it, shortcut, but there's got to actually actually tracking like moments of inertia can be very difficult anyway, just simply because you know even if you're running a dedicated run, traffic always changes, and so your your number number of moments is going to vary on every trip even if it's the exact same road it's never the same so you know hell one day you may have really bad traffic on your regular route take a shortcut and come out ahead it just it's hard to say but in general my experience has been no they typically do not make sense to do that and that's yeah where i'm at is it seems like every week my shortcut is getting worse and more uh-huh. safety-wise, get off in this two-lane, and people are driving worse. They're passing in situations they should never be passing in, and they, you know, trying to do 20 miles an hour <laughs> over the speed limit on a 60 you mile an hour two-lane road. Oh yeah. Here's, and and I hear exactly what you're saying. And I, man, I don't know this last trip I had. So I'm coming up a two-lane, and I've got a. Guy hauling batteries, it was a, a DECA truck. He's got a, a, a load of batteries, and it's snowing like hell. It's just the road conditions are horrible. I'm going 55. He pulls out and passes me. He gets by me, and just as he passed me, it turned into a four-lane road, and there was a merge coming on, and here's a gasoline tanker merging next to this battery truck, and they're drag racing up the hill because they don't want to give. And I'm thinking, holy shit, could it get any worse? Gasoline tanker, battery truck, drag racing up a hill in a snowstorm. Uh, you could have had a load of chlorine around there. Oh, that would have added to it. <laughs> yeah, there, you know, that's all we needed. We, we would have had the trifecta going on. I was like, holy that's shit, right. man, come on. Just yeah. back out What's of it, let the guy over, but what happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're going to lose a whole 20 seconds to just let him over. Come on. Yeah. I, like, Jesus. There ought to have been somebody mistakes along with that so you had something to eat to sit back and watch that deal. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was just – it was horrible. I, I, You know, you you read about all these, these mega pileups and stuff, and – you know, the owner-operators blame the company drivers, and company drivers blame owner-operators, and the, the newbies, they blame the old-school guys. Everybody blames each other. But when you look at it, it's everybody doing stupid shit out here. Not a soul slowed down in that snowstorm I came through in Wisconsin. Nobody. If it was a 65-mile-an-hour <laughs> speed limit, they were running 60. Regardless if there's an inch and a half ice on the road, Across the board, everybody was doing that, and of course, I'm the idiot Joel. for impeding the flow of traffic, right? So, Joel, they're all oh, super truckers. Yeah. Come on, they can handle uh, that. I am telling you, just just <laughs> just get out of their way. That just get out of their way. That's that opens up a whole other subject. To me, these people, when they do that stuff, they're making the case for autonomous vehicles. Oh, they absolutely are. are. Uh, yeah. There yeah, is, no doubt. There is no doubt. However, the, the the core, I think, behind this all, and Kevin, we talked about this at length, it's how we pay. When you pay people by the mile, yep. that is what's going to happen. Yep. I don't care. It, it, it is for 99% of the people, look, i got to make a paycheck. Yeah. I'm going. 
You know, the biggest challenge to this, and I said this a long, long time ago, I, I got a message from somebody that said, you used to be so against paying by the hour. No, I never was. What I said was, I, how do we transform an industry that has hundreds of thousands of trucking companies or whatever the damn number is? It's a lot. How do you how do you transform that? It becomes really difficult because when you look at a, a trucking company's financials, you know this, there isn't yeah. a lot of profit in trucking, right? We make it up in volume. You, you got to do yeah. millions of miles to make it up because there's not much margin. So it's not like yeah. we're saying that we're not saying the companies are underpaying their drivers because if you tried to pay them more, you look at the balance sheet and you go. Or the P&L, how? Where am I going to come up with the money to pay them more? I would have to go to my, to my customers and get them to pay me more, but it's a really competitive industry. So I've never been against paying by the hour. I've always wondered how the hell are we ever going to make it happen? Yeah, and, and you know what makes it worse is the bigger the company gets to get more of those miles, then they start working off economies of scale rather than efficiency. Yeah. So when, <laughs> when we have the efficiency talk to them, they don't really care. You know, they're like, I, I don't care they're, if I can buy a truck for 59000 and they're buying one for 110 I can afford to run this thing a little bit faster. And productivity is king, right? Um, nobody's you, putting the brakes on you know, them for the – for the safety aspect. So it's, it's a problem. You know, no which, yeah. You know, which carriers had the absolute worst operating ratios are the union LTL carriers because of the sure. cost of paying all those union wages and benefits on a good year. A company like yellow had a 97% operating ratio on a bad year. They had a 102% operating ratio. Meaning they lost be, money on every mile they drove. Sure. It would be extremely interesting, though, from a safety perspective to take a company like Yellow with union drivers that are paid hourly and then compare them They're, to like a, oh, a FedEx done with it. a contractor model and see, see how that no, compares. Well, Is there any difference? You, there's a, here's, here's the problem. Now we're mixing up two things. We're mixing up independent contractors and employees and we're mixing up sure. mileage pay and hourly pay. And you really yes. can't because the, when you bring an independent contractor into the mix, the safety rating goes up. We know that. So that's going to confuse the hourly issue. So you'd, you'd be better off comparing, say, a, a, well, I, I just think you've got to keep the independent contractor out of the mix for that. that that's a different issue. So you got to be comparing, say, like a yellow to a UPS or or somebody else that, well, both of those are union. You'd have to compare. Yeah. Well, we we have some we have some non. Well, we even have some non-union LTL carriers. That would be a better comparison. If you're going to yeah, use like I, I a yellow we, or somebody we, that's an LTL, what we would we'd be looking for is mileage pay versus hourly pay, and then on a on two big enough companies else, to look at the safety. Yes. It, yeah, well, and the operation and, being similar uh, enough that we don't have too many variables. But I, you and I both know what the answer is. I, come on, right. this is no, pretty no, much no. common sense. That it, it, the hourly pay is going to be safer. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Jumping into that. You know, when does, because all it is is piece rate, when does piece rate equal better quality? 
seldom. You know, uh, people that want uh, almost never, right. They, right? they want them tolerances open as wide as they can because yep. they want to zip, zip them out. And to me, pay by the mile is simply peace rate. Pretty much, it is. Yeah. There, there, there is no doubt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it it has a significant impact on safety for the motoring public in general, and that's that's the problem. And you know, the the more of these companies you know, that we start paying by the we we're, we're paying by the miles. Speed limits are getting higher. Trucks are faster. There's more traffic on the road. I know everybody loves to blame the ELD for all this, but, you know, when you look at the combination of things that has come together, it's no wonder we're having these pileups like we're having. Well, and, you know, I, I kind of understand the government wanting to put a speed limit on trucks. I am not for it, but, no, you know, we're having – it seems like we're having a very hard time as an industry managing ourselves, and I think it all goes back to pay by the mile. So. You know, Joel, with what you were just with what you were just talking about there, one of the articles I bookmarked this morning for my commentary was one of those crashes, kind of major in a construction zone, and it turns out they were able to prove the guy was on his phone. He he was physically doing something on the phone that they were able to track, and he crashed in a construction zone. That's the kind yeah. of stuff that scares me. When I see that, I'm begging for the autonomous trucks. Well, yeah, yeah, it, it, I, I agree. So you brought up the ELDs that a lot of drivers control, claim control their throttles. I wonder if that's why they took those three off the market that we're not to be using anymore. Maybe they were the ones that were hooked to the throttles in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> Hey Henry, hey, Henry I'll let you know cuz I'll let you know cuz that was the other article that I bookmarked. I was going to look into these 3 that have just been canceled all of a sudden. What 3 were they? Oh shoot, let me go back and see if I can find it in my notes. Uh there was just a new one recently and I think that was what triggered the article. Um let me see if I can there find it. You guys talk about Oh, hey, what what one more thing before, while you guys think about that or somebody looks for the answer to which three it was, I want to go back to the pay thing. There was, you know, paying by the piece, I get it. You're just telling everybody, look, crank out as much work as you can, and we're more concerned about numbers than quality. I mean, that's kind of what that system is. I worked mm-hmm. in a system, and I, I think a lot of our shops are still like this. I don't know. Um, but I worked in a body shop, and we got paid on what was called flat rate. And the way it worked, and I actually liked this because there was a way to stop the poor quality because everybody wanted to rush. So if a job came in, the, you, had to, you did an estimate on the car. Okay, the estimate is it's going to take $2,000 to fix this car. Um, the, the body guy that's doing it gets his percentage of it. So now that's a flat rate. We're not saying you're getting paid this much by the hour. You're getting paid this much to fix that problem. We don't care how long it takes you or we don't care how fast you do it. Now, if you do Mm -hmm. that, you're encouraging poor work, except Mm -hmm. once I did that job, I'm completely responsible for it. If it comes back with a problem, I have to fix it on my time. I don't get paid when it comes back. Ah, You do. So you do have to find that balance. And I liked that because 
mm-hmm. you know, the people who were really good and hustled, I made significantly more than the guy next to me who was there just as long as I was. But he wasn't as efficient. Mm-hmm. He wasn't as motivated. But you got to find that balance. You know, you, you can't go I, so fast that you screw it up and it comes back. Right. Balance is, is the key, no doubt. And, you know, I'm working with that in my own company as, as I pay myself a driver's wage. And the way I'm doing it right now, and we're still working out, you know, details of this. And, and when I do have it all worked out, we're, we're, we're going to publish it and do a little study on it. But right now I'm paying myself 28 bucks an hour and 28 cents a mile. And okay. it seems to be, it seems to be working pretty damn well. Um, there's enough encouragement there that you're not going to lay down because you're, you're getting hourly pay, but if you get caught in a traffic jam or you're delayed somewhere, you're getting paid every hour, right. uh, no right. matter what. So that's what I try to do is strike that balance. And, it, it, you know, there's been some things that we've had to work through, and we're still working through a couple of, of minor details on, on how to work all this out. But uh, I think it's going to work really well when you add a time component instead of just a distance component to the pay. Um, you know, you're, you know how it is. You're getting paid by the mile. You run into Chicago traffic. You're like, son of a bitch, my day is just shot. You know, you, you're just, <laughs> you're go. just that way. And so now, if you're getting paid yeah. 28 bucks an hour to sit in traffic, it's not so bad. I mean, it still sucks, but it doesn't suck as much. You so, know, um, you know, I, it, I, it's, it's I nice. used, a, I used a similar system for years. I mean, I had a, a pretty much a straight mileage pay, and they were dedicated runs, so you knew what you were getting paid anyway. But mm-hmm. I did have a, a, just a, a ruled anything that that adds more than an hour to your day. You give me an hour, you know, whether it's traffic, mm-hmm. an accident, a breakdown, whatever. Give, give me that first hour. Anything that, mm-hmm. that takes more than an hour out of your day, I pay you hourly. And, and you know, mm-hmm. you might go two months without ever paying somebody for their time. And then all of a sudden, traffic is bad. They had a breakdown, whatever, and you pay them. It, Sure. Even that little bit makes a big difference. Sure, absolutely. You know, you should be free to pay how you want, uh, but it, when it comes to transportation, there should always have to be a time component to whatever you're doing. If you want to pay by the mile, fine, but you also have to have a time component in there somewhere, so you're not you're not that driver under the gun saying go 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 no matter what in order to make a paycheck yeah yeah you couldn't do what i do for myself on that i've from the beginning when i started 96 i've always paid myself a salary and it took in all the ebbs and flows of the year so and then what you could figure it out at the end of the year how much of a bonus you got out of it all but i looked up the three elds one plus eld one and nationwide, that's the three. There you go. Gotcha. Thank okay. you. They, they must have been. I, uh, I think they were connected up to the, the FMCSA's website. <laughs> Under revoked, they have. Um, well, I got it. 100 entries per page, and there's two pages. But wow. most of this, it's, it's version. Yeah. So like okay. ELD one is on here like 10 times. Different versions have been revoked. Oh, okay. Got yeah, it. There's, there's quite a list. Government efficiency. But All right. Anyway, uh, good talking to you, gentlemen. I actually have to go to work and make a delivery, so we'll catch up with you later. There you go. Yeah. All right.
with all the miles he runs, I wonder when he ever has time to call us. My God. Let's let's go to Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Um, What's on your mind today? Well, you know, Kevin, I'm more with Joel on this whole time management thing. And, And I think if we all just acted like we were union drivers, you know, it's just like driving fast drives down rates. Come on, don't be so efficient. Just, you know, relax. <laughs> the, the less we do, the higher rates go, right? Rates go. You're exactly hey. right. We're killing ourselves to drive rates down. <laughs> uh, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But, you know, the union drivers, when I go up through the construction zone in South Carolina every week, they don't seem to slow down at all for that construction zone. So maybe they're in a different <sighs> union. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um you were talking about broker bonds, Kevin. Maybe that was in yesterday. I anyway. It's kind of interesting. I I mean, I'm glad they're there when I'm when I'm uh you know, I'm I'm guilty of what you tell everybody not to do on my back calls sort by rate. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you yeah. you check their credit and you know you hope for the best but it's like well you know they got a bond which you know if they do go under so, usually the bond isn't going to do anything anyway but it's never enough if they, right right but sometimes they just they just don't want to pay you so then you you just have to call their bond company <laughs> and, and they pay and really then you fast. mentioned that yes Yes, yes, I <laughs> I bumped into that yeah. once or twice. I agree. <laughs> yeah, so hey, I'm kind of hey, glad. Hey, Brian. Go, yeah, go ahead. It, yep. it, you should be glad that it's there. I, I've never been. I've never owned. Well, I guess when I was a broker and a carrier, I did. But all the other businesses I've ever owned, there is zero protection against somebody not paying you. If I extend credit to another company and they don't pay me. I don't have a bond to go after. It's another thing that we seem to do different in this industry. Why do we need authority? And why do why is this whole bond thing? Every business I know of, not every, but a lot of them extend credit to other businesses or consumers. And when you extend credit, you just take the risk. Right. Yeah. And, and tying that all in with your bond thing, um, it, it's kind of funny. It's like, well, if we didn't have broker bonds and we didn't have authority, here's another issue. You know, double brokering. And I've done this, and I'm looking at getting into it again. You have a carrier, a buddy of yours, that has freight. They don't have a brokerage. They want help. It's good freight. What do you do? You hold the freight for them. But... God forbid there's an accident. What happens with the insurance wise? You know, is 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 that? Oh, it's a mess. I, it, yeah, it, it, it's so, a mess. Now, co-brokering between two brokers or three brokers or ten brokers wouldn't matter. It's illegal. Goes on all the time. Double brokering. The true definition. We bastardized the word, but the true definition is a broker gives a load to a carrier, the carrier then brokers it illegally because they can't. Two brokers have the right to both have a part of a load. There's nothing illegal about that. We don't like it, but there's nothing illegal about it. It is absolutely illegal for a carrier to broker that load. Right. 
Right. So uh, I sometimes don't do it the way you say. And here's another example. You know, you need a backhaul. I, look, a lot hey, of times the rates don't work. Hey, hey Brian. Yeah, go ahead. Brian, I have yeah. I, I have a workaround for you right now. They're trying to th- – this bill that I'm talking about that the TIA is pushing for is also trying to um, – oh, I just drew a total blank. My brain went in three different directions at once. That hurt. Um, it happens. <laughs> say the last thing you said. I just totally lost my train of thought there. must be Friday. So <laughs> – we have the, the problem. Word, they of, use the word backhaul. That always sets me off when I hear the word backhaul. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. I don't know. <laughs> something just totally, uh, something just totally broke my brain there. Um, Brian, what was the last thing you just said? I don't remember, but maybe I'll jog your memory with this. Oh, on the backhaul thing, I, I. I get the best rate I can every direction I go, and backhaul just means I'm going home. Oh, and I know what it was. Stop stop before I forget again. I have a solution for you, and the TIA is trying to clarify this. It, you could form a dispatch service. Really? There you go. And then just... Yes, you could. You, it, they're out there. That nobody can exactly agree whether they're legal or not. So the TIA is trying to clarify this. But basically, a dispatch service technically is an unlicensed broker. I know they want to argue that they're not, but I, I think they are. They go out and find freight for a trucking company, for a carrier. Well, that's what a broker does. So, but they're claiming, no, we're not a broker because we don't do this. And so right now it's happening every day. So you might as well jump in until they fix it. Just say you're a dispatch service. <laughs> well, there we go. Well, well we the, go. The, the dispatcher, the, 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 the blah, 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 blah. God, you got me tongue-tied. <laughs> the dispatch service finds a broker that double brokered it to get it for you. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no wonder why this gets so damn confusing. So I'm glad that the TIA is actually out there trying to get some clarification on this stuff. Right. Yeah, no right. doubt. Yeah, it it uh it's an interesting world and it gets more interesting. I I, I was going to say as another example, you know, I love Uber Freight. Most of the time, I don't like the rates and I don't pull the freight. But if I do like the rate, I get to see exactly where the load's picking up and delivering and what time without talking to anybody. And let's go back to why I'm a truck driver so I don't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> and right. the rate's there. The shipper name and address is there. Receiver name and address is there. The, the appointment times are there. And I don't even care you know, about a broker bond at that point because I know Uber's going to pay me in two days. Who does that? Yeah. Right. And, you know, right. listen, I, you know, I, I do the same thing with, with the Schneider load board. You know, a lot of people bitch about the megas, and I'm surprised how often we use it. And, you know, a lot of times the rates look like hell on there, but if you work it, it's got all that same information. Everything's there. They absolutely pay you, and it's and even their power only stuff, I mean, it's pretty damn decent. You know, you, you know it's not I, stuff I, you're gonna get rich off of, but there's not a lot of risk involved either. 
if we look at the two big kind of virtual brokers that came in and kind of disrupted everything, um, Uber being the first one and Convoy, um, you know, being a big part of this too. I'm not wild about the model. It's kind of like a race to the bottom on the rate part of it, but they brought a lot of really cool technology. And then, then, you know, carriers started copying it like Schneider. Um, who's, who's got a really, really noisy background. What the hell is that noise? I think it might've been me. Okay. How's that? Um, yeah, that's better. Um, even the big broker, C.H. Robinson, started bringing and, and copying or creating a lot of that technology. So there was some good stuff that came out of that. But the kind of the big picture of the virtual brokers, I think, is a race to the bottom on rates. I agree. I agree. But they did they did bring a lot of stuff that was, was needed, like you said. You know, and, I um, – the one of them that I absolutely love on convoys, you know, their app uses geofencing. So without any kind of calls or anything, they know when you pulled onto the shipper or receiver's property and they know when you left. And they use that for detention time billing. And it, that kind of stuff I really like. It It, it is nice, but I'll tell you, um, most of the places have all this automated type stuff when you download their apps and whatnot. But what we're finding is when you actually call them to talk to them, and I know a lot of us don't like doing that, but that kind of establishes that relationship. And it is just amazing the phone calls that you will get from them because they've actually talked to you before when they've got something that they can't cover and the rates through the roof. So I, I love that technology yeah. myself too. But man, you're giving up that that interaction, that person to person interaction yeah. that that will absolutely what, pay back in the in the future. Yep. There's no doubt about he, it. Yeah. Here's here's where we always make the mistake with technology. We I've said this for a long time and this really applies in trucking. We should be using technology to enhance relationships, not eliminate them. And the big Virtual brokers want to eliminate the relationship part. They, the, I will tell you, those guys really don't want a relationship with the, the carriers. They want everything automated. That's their model. That's how they make money because they're not paying a room full of people to answer phones all day long. So yeah. that's the part of the model I don't like. I, I like, sure, the, all this technology is awesome, but I, I don't want to use it to replace the relationship. Let's just use it to enhance the relationship. Maybe I don't have to talk to you seven times a week, maybe just once. But I, we should probably still be talking. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. And, uh, you know, in yeah, it, the technology definitely makes it an interesting issue. But I guess my overall point on the broker bonds and – Broker authority, carrier authority, throwing it all out the window. Hey. Imagine that world. Yeah. Hey, I just had another idea. Why can't we turn artificial intelligence loose on the load boards? What kind of cool <laughs> stuff could we figure out there to be more efficient? <laughs> I could have that a relationship a Pandora's with box, the box, my friend. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> Think about uh, that. 
you may yeah. not want to open that box, though. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, so, man. I, I, no, I, I, Kevin, think about, I'm feeling like a dinosaur on this because I'm feeling like a dinosaur on this particular part because I haven't used a load board, and I'm trying to think back at least 15 years. Well, let, let's think about this. We, we, all of us are kind of data nerds. I mean, that, that's why we do what we do. These load boards move a million loads a day sometimes. I mean, when things were crazy, we were in the million loads a day being posted and then moved. Do you know how much good data is in there? Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. It, the problem is, is no because doubt. I've done it. I've done it for years. I've tried to dig through load board data and come up with good, you know, scenarios and good strategies. And it, you could hire 10 people full time and you'd still never pull all the data out. Yeah. This is true. Is it that pretty much what DAT does? I mean, they're pretty much a company they formed. Uh, right. They right. try, the right. Truckstop.com, yeah. right. They're data yeah. companies more than anything. My gosh. Sure. Um, so... But it's so much data that it's going to take good artificial intelligence to pull what we want out of it. But that, that's promising. There are so many good uses for this technology, but unfortunately, I think 90% is going to be all garbage. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I do really like the transparency and, and the quick pay, though. But I will say... If we got rid of boat broker bonds and carrier broker authority, don't you think we'd have a lot more relationships if we depended yes. on a handshake to get paid? It just, You'd just be working so for people like I, you know. It, you can't believe, though, when I talk about this topic in the industry from, you know, CEOs of big companies down, everybody looks at me like I have three heads. What do you mean get rid of authority? Why not? <laughs> Nobody else goes through this. Yeah. Well, we have to have it. What, well, what about safety? What about the what about the new entrant audit? You can still have that. What does that have to do with authority? Right. right. Yeah. You can still have all the safety rules you want. That it, every industry has safety rules, but they don't have authority. But everybody, oh no, it's because of safety. <laughs> That that's stupid. It has nothing to do with safety. Right. Yeah, they'd end up throwing us under OSHA then, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, like, there's a thought it, for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it, it's, it's like it, it's like when you talk to people about this. It, maybe maybe they've never had the thought because they look at you like, "What are you insane? What do you mean, get rid of authority?" Oh, I don't know. Just think about it for a little bit and then explain to me why it even exists. Yeah, well, you know, I've always, kind of, I've always kind of griped that owner-operators kind of suffer from the that-ain't-the-way-my-daddy-done-it syndrome, but you see the same thing <laughs> at the corporate level. Exactly. <laughs> they're doing the same damn right. thing. That ain't the way my daddy done it, so I right. ain't changing. So, yeah, they, they're no better. <laughs> I guess I guess we all suffer from that. We get comfortable. <laughs> This is just it, it, a leftover from a system that hasn't existed for 40 years. It, it's funny. Yeah. Once you have your operating authority, you want it more difficult for anybody else to get it. <laughs> but if, you don't, if you don't have it. But, Henry, that's always you, you, you the case. You want to make it easy. Every, 
every industry eventually tries to create a bunch of rules to keep new people out. Oh yeah, and I hate that. Yeah, I am. I am so. I am so 180 degrees out of that. I want more competition, not less. And I'm agreeing so, with you. I'm just saying I was painting with a no, broad No, you're brush. right. You're, you are right. That's exactly what happens. And here's another good example, financial planning. The, the certified financial planning exam takes 15 hours, and in most years, about 40% of the people that take it pass. It is ridiculously complicated, and it's, it, it really doesn't accomplish much. It's just a barrier to to keep that designation, um, you know, more unique is really all they're trying to do. They're just they're just keeping out their own competition. Before you hang up on me, Kevin, I do have a tire question for Joel. Okay. All right. Go ahead. (laughs) Kind of a kind of a weird question, but you got me thinking with this 20,000 pound steer axle tire um mm-hmm. have you thought about doing any testing is there any future at all in this being a, a third gen wide single sort of thing i mean with that kind of capacity well it, we, we've got to watch how narrow we get because we give up a lot of contact patch and we're we're flirting with the minimum right now in fact, I think we had exceeded the minimum for a while for a lot of applications. And, um, you know, I've really kind of pushed back against the wide base tires over the last, I don't know, five or six years anyway. I pushed back real hard on them. The latest version that Michelin gave me here, because I, I, I wasn't buying them, you know, I was like, there ain't no way. If you give them to me, I'll take them and test them. Um, they're, they're, they're good. Um, they are much better than what they had just a few years ago in terms of wear, rolling resistance, and whatnot. My fear would be if we took that tire that I have on the steer axle, a very skilled person would make it work. I'd make it work. You'd make it work. Henry would make it work. But the industry as a whole, that's going to blow up in their face because we're getting that contact patch way down there, and it becomes a problem. What am I, With rules get you in trouble. It could, yes. That could also uh, play a factor in there. I'm not because sure used, where everybody's... They, mm-hmm. they used to run that tire on tri-axle enclosed auto carriers, and they mm-hmm. would get in trouble in certain states on their inch-width rules on that, running it as a trident with the same single tire on all three axles. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think on the wide base, we're about as narrow as we can go in the drive position. I, I don't think we want to go any narrower. We, we start to get into some roll stability issues and a few other things as well. So, Gotcha. All right, Brian, anything do else? Make, do you think it would make any sense in a really lightweight application? I mean, it probably would. The rolling resistance is crazy low on them. Um, you just want to make sure that you're the only person driving that truck. You're not going to hire employees to get in there because you're going to you're going to end up with a whole lot of problems. And and uh, I, I you know they, it, it probably technically would make sense. Um, 
in fact, and I'd, I'd have to dig way back on this, they'd done a, a study on, on this where they had the same size tire in every position on some trucks over in Asia somewhere. And it was it was pretty interesting, the efficiency gains and stuff they got out of it. Um, very similar size tire to what I've got going on here. And I'll see if I can dig that up and maybe post it. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it was pretty pretty cool right. stuff, but uh, like Henry talked about, you get the width rules and you get a whole bunch of other issues when you get variations in weight. There you go. We're going to move on. Calls are piling up. If you want to join us, it is a kind of a free-for-all Friday, 855-950-3835. We just opened up a couple lines if you want to jump in and head off to Mississippi. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Uh, What's on your mind? Howdy, what, are you, what are you doing in Mississippi? I'm chasing Matt. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there you I'm, go. I'm very, I'm very close to Matt's back door. I'm coming up towards Elvis's place here. It's a Tupelo. So. Got it. Yeah. Um, you were talking about people having wrecks. You forgot that it's, it's usually the guy, this is what they always say, oh, it's usually the guy in the plastic truck that caused it. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it, it was the plastic Volvo pulling doubles for FedEx. That's what it was. Yeah. All the, the, yeah. The, the round. The you know round what? Freight line the... What? What's What's really screwed up with that whole the plastic Volvo thing? <laughs> they are the only truck on the market with a I high know. strength steel <laughs> cab. The entire cab, doors, everything, and you get this redneck yep. plastic truck. I was like, okay, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> whatever. I know. It's yeah. It's pretty fun. And, and uh, uh, another saying that sort of gets up my goat a little bit is, uh, "I'm third generation." Okay, maybe the first <laughs> and the second generation did it wrong, and you're just following in their footsteps. <laughs> there you yeah. go. There you go. So that's some magical, magical uh, thing yeah, there. Like, You're third generation, so you you know yeah, it all. I got it. A birth, a birthright. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> So while I was down in Florida getting my trailer repaired, so I was scanning through the truck paper, a lot of Volvos for sale. Well, mm -hmm. I guess there's a lot of Volvo salespeople that don't know how good they could make a Volvo because a lot of them have a 12.5 front axle or yep. a 308 rear end. Yep. So I just, uh, if I saw that, Actually, mostly what I'd look at first was the steer axle rating and the rear end ratio. And a lot of them, as soon as I seen that, it was next, please. But is yep. there a way to tell by the VIN number if it's a turbo compound engine, or will it just say? I, I am not a hundred percent sure. I'll ask that. It should say D13TC if it if it is okay. in fact a TC. Yep. It appears there's probably not a lot of turbo compound ones out there in the huge market yet. And not yet. I, I, that's all going to change here. Um, I'm actually going to spend a couple days down in Greensboro <laughs> next week uh, with a very large group of salespeople to try to pound this through their head. Um, yep. You know, we, we still see it. Guys want the spec VGTs with 308s and 12 speeds. And then they say, 
but the Freightliner gets better fuel mileage. I'm like, well, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yep, you're going right. to get your ass handed to you. You do something stupid like yeah. that. So, yeah, they don't. It, it's hard for salespeople to get their mind around this stuff. And uh, so we're going to give her another shot next week and, and see if we can maybe help that situation along. Good I luck on that, Joel. <laughs> yeah, I no, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. All right, hey, 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 Paul, we're gonna cut you loose. Hey, Joel, I got two things for you. Um, first, I think I was talking about this yesterday. Now it's probably Tuesday on the Power Hour. I was talking about the the fact that we're getting closer and closer to this, and, and I honestly think that someday we're we're gonna get there. And Volvo may be the one that ends up leading this. You know, I talked about when you and I first started, you could buy any truck with any engine, with any transmission, with any set of differentials, with any, I mean, you mm-hmm. picked everything and you could mix mm-hmm. and match and build whatever combination you wanted. And that has mm-hmm. been going away slowly. And I got thinking we're we're at the point, you can still spec your truck and you should, it's critically important that you do it, rear end ratios, right engine, that kind of stuff match it to the duty cycle and the job and all that. But at, at some point, can't you see, and, and Volvo's kind of hinting towards leaning that way. Like you've uh, yes. developed I, that, know, I know where you're going. That, <laughs> you, you've spec. developed that, that really nice spec for an over-the-road operation. What would stop Volvo from, from picking like four or five different scenarios and saying, this is the truck? You don't spec anything. It'd be like the way we buy a car. Exactly what's happening. Um, Look for kind of a heavy haul iTorque spec coming. It's not there yet, but they're they're working on it. They're actually going to build a few tests to go out into the field. So um, that's exactly, I think. And and I think all the manufacturers are going to go that way because you're simply not going to be able to meet EPA demands without doing that. I mean, it's great for us to say, oh, man, I always spec this, and it's great. But how yep. many people actually you know, track the data and, and look at the fuel efficiency? Is it right, really any right. better than anything right. else? Probably not. Right. Um, right. So this is very no. well-researched. It's field-proven. And um, probably Volvo will probably be the first manufacturer to to do that, to say, here's an all-encompassing spec up to 80,000 pounds. This will work in the city. Great. It'll work on the highway. It's going to work everywhere for you at a very, very high level. And then start building specialty specs that, again, you don't have yes. to think about. You just walk in. You buy it. Yes. I. It, it's great for the industry. It's great yes. for the environment. It's great for our economy. I hate it. It takes away one of our biggest advantages because when you know how to do this kind of stuff and nobody else yep. does, it's a big advantage. But it, it will go away. It's it's coming. We're we're kind of heading down that path. Yeah, you have to have the vertical integration, just like uh, uh, shoot, can't say his name called earlier and said the the X15 was revving to the moon with the with the Eaton transmission. They don't talk to each other. It's a generic logic oh, right. in there that says rev it up to here, and that's what it does. <laughs> so, right. you know, we have to have that vertical integration. Freightliner does a hell of a good job with it. Volvo does a hell of a good job with it. You know, PACR's starting to kind of look at it. I don't know if they're going to get on board or not. Yep. 
and you know Commons is buying up component manufacturers, so they see the right. the writing on the wall as well. So um, yeah, everything's going to be vertically integrated yeah. at some point. And, and All right. Kevin, so here's the saying, other. This 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 increases competition. It, it does. Um, yeah, it, it 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 takes away one giant variable that again, and that was in a variable where the three of us have had a huge advantage for years, and the people we teach this stuff, it that advantage goes away. Now I have to go back to the, what else can I do to be more competitive now? So I, I guess it does put uh, puts the pressure it, back it on us. It, you know, I've always thought of salespeople generally as handshakers and baby kissers. They don't they don't get the technology and you could totally be screwing up the spec and if that's what you want, that's what they're gonna sell. They don't care. They're oh, they yes, want to take right. the money, there's the truck, out the door it goes, they yeah. don't care. Now we have to meet greenhouse gas emission standards, EPA's EPA is breathing down everybody's neck. Now salespeople have to understand this stuff. And it's yeah. it's been quite an issue for them to get their money. Just look, they, most of them are well, just not they, technically oriented. If, if we continue down this path, the salespeople won't need to know this stuff. It won't matter. You'll just pick from a standard I, line well, of specs. That's that's exactly right. They're going to be there to probably hand you the paperwork, and who knows, maybe you'll be doing it. that all online before <laughs> you know it. But um, right. you're, you're right. right. It, it, it's, it's way beyond the majority of salespeople, and the industry solution is going to be vertical integration. We're going to package up what we know works best with our components in certain areas. We're going to have six different trucks. One does this, one does this, and boom, you're done. And that's, that's probably yep. the way it needs to be. Yep. So now... I said I had two things for you, and then we're going to go back to a call. What the hell's going on in your neck of the woods? They closed down I-75 North near Toledo. Some guy ran into an really? overpass with an over yeah he ran into an overpass with an oversized load and did enough damage they had to shut it down. Now we're on an interstate. He ran into a, an yeah. overpass. Guess wow. what? Wow. <laughs> Guess what? The guy had no valid driver's license, no I oversight heard about permit. This. Yes, and and after he hit the bridge, he took off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, that is just, that holy is cow. Yeah, it is. Uh, Man, they need to throw the was, book. What at was that he guy. hauling? A excavator or something? Uh, I don't know if they said anywhere in here. Sounds yeah, like a construction really company says. saying, "I don't care how you get it there, just get it there." We <laughs> Jump in the truck and there. get it there. That's right. <laughs> Jump in there and take it. <laughs> Here, hold my beer. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing oh, missing yeah. is he wasn't caught with beer and meth. Yeah, that's about about right. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I know what a mess. All right, let's uh, let's go north of the border. Grant, welcome to the program. Good morning. What's on your mind you today? Okay. Hey, I just yep. wanted to give you a little feedback. I thought Joel might be interested in you possibly. I uh, had a 6x2 Volvo, a 19 model VNR, and I had the adaptive floating on it, as well as uh, my trailer has that lift axle. And uh, I spent most of the COVID season running up to Alaska and back on that 6x2, and I nice. never had a problem in the snow. Never. Nice, nice, it nice, handled, nice. Yeah, handled great. When you look, had, uh, mm -hmm. 
to handle great, and I also ran it with wide base tires. Awesome. Yeah, when you look at the rest of the world, I mean, in the Scandinavian countries, you get into Russia and, and you know, the northern ter- they all run six by twos in the in the weather, and they do it successfully. So, uh, you know, the fallacy that we have to have a, a six by four in order to to move general freight in snowy conditions is just complete nonsense. And uh, you know, when Henry said that they're working on this mechanical liftable um, six by four slash six by two system. It, to me, it just sounds like a lot of engineers getting around in the room and they're creating a solution to a problem that doesn't exist instead of fixing, <laughs> you know, what what we know. Because the rest of the world uses it. Hey, we know it works, just, but we just won't take right. the time to fix it. And it just, uh, right. I don't know. Hey, hey I, I have another great example of people losing their mind over something simple in, in a problem that doesn't need fixing. I can't believe I, this is one of the comments I made that I've been like crazy attacked over. My God, you should hear what the people are saying. Here's all I commented on. There was a post about ta- tables in Japanese restaurants with a little slot that you drop your phone into. At first, when I saw it, I thought, oh, mm-hmm. maybe the idea is everybody puts their phone in the slot and it locks until dinner's over. So you can actually talk to people while you're eating instead of looking at a table with everybody staring at their phone. But that's not what it was. That, I think, would actually be a good idea. Here's what it was. Sure. You drop your phone in the slot, and it sanitizes your phone. Phone for you. There you go. So I, I said, well, this is ignorant. Why are we hyper-sanitizing everything? And that's part of why our immune systems keep getting weaker Oh, my God, you should have heard the comments. Don't go near Kevin. He doesn't wipe his ass after he shits. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? But then my, comment was, <laughs> my comment was, wait a minute. I've been carrying a cell phone for around for about 30 years. I've never sanitized it, and I don't get sick. So we're solving a problem that doesn't exist. And people are like, no, you don't know. Didn't you see the report? Your phone's dirtier than toilet water. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I'm still not getting sick. I haven't been sick for years. I have a really strong immune system. Well, your immune system can't handle all that garbage that's on your phone. Well, it does. What do you mean it can't? It does. Jesus. Yeah. But they were like <laughs> losing their mind over this. I mean, you would you can't believe the nasty things they're calling me and shows and said, oh, shows what? you how effective advertising really is. Uh, isn't it you crazy? Know? Let's think about something. Ba- babies have an incomplete immune system. It they don't have a good strong immune system when they're born. And what do we do? We put them on the dirtiest surface in our house, the floor. We let them crawl around on their hands. Everything they find, they pick up and it goes in their goes mouth. In their mouth. Right? Yep. Right. I, I, I want people who don't believe me on this, take your phone out of your pocket and start sucking on it for a while. Because that's what you let your babies do. Oh, Jesus. Do you know what that does? When we let babies do that, that's what trains their immune immune system. system. Right. Right. But all of a sudden, we become adults and we have a complete immune system, or we should, and now we're terrified of every germ on the planet. 
Yeah. Why, why is a phone different than anything else? People have been carrying wallets around forever, and you reach in your pocket, and you take your wallet out, and you pay for things, and you handle money. That's filthy. But we don't get sick because we have an immune system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why, why aren't people sanitizing their money? I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, that's going to be the next thing. <laughs> they're going to outlaw yeah. paper money because it's too dirty. Exactly, you know, it's, it's too dirty. Happen. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, just people lost their mind. Thousands of comments about this stupid little topic. <laughs> kind of, kind of going in in line with what you're saying there, Kevin. Um, now that's the other thing about it is, is you know, I drove thirty six thousand miles up there in one winter season on snow and ice. Never saw the blacktop. But on the other end, I used a little common sense. I never chained up once. Exactly. But I also, I also did not park my vehicle on an uphill grade, planning to start off <laughs> on an uphill grade on the snow and ice either. You know. So you got to use wow. common sense Bra- with some of the stuff. Too. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's you know. But uh, but no, I, you know, I I had set that truck up for hauling tanks. Uh, that's what I did before I started running up there. So whenever I ran up there and I had the 13-2 axle on it and I had a longer mm-hmm. wheelbase on it because of my mm-hmm. configuration for what I was doing with uh, beforehand. But pulling that box up there, um, I had my axle weights set properly for I could maximize. Mm-hmm. My front was always around 13,000, 13 even whenever I was loaded. Um, but... Mm-hmm. That helped me keep that rear axle or the lift axle on the trailer up 90% of the time instead of having it on the ground. So, and as far mm-hmm. as the handling on it, it handled fantastic. It, it did great. You know, it uh, it was a very well performing. I, I kind of am kicking myself now because I ordered a new truck um, during that time period. And because I was running Alaska and everybody's saying, oh, you're going to have problems up there. And, and I ordered the truck just as I was starting to run up there. I ordered a six by four. Now I did get the TC. Um, mm-hmm. but I went with the six, six by four instead of the six by two. And uh, I, <laughs> I kind of wished I had the six by two because I'll be honest with you. Now that I've ran a winter with the six by four again, the six by four does not perform as well in the snow and ice <clears throat> as six by two. So one Blast of the things me. That you're, it's you're, gotta be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So well, you know what? We, we have guys like that that'll say this, and people will hear it, and they're like, "Oh, that's bullshit." But we can put numbers to this now, and and the way we do this is we're we're always looking at percentage of the gross vehicle weight on an axle position. So when you take your six by four, um, and and you set it up, you're typically going to have less of a percentage on the steer. So that means you're going to have less steer traction there's just there's no way around that and (laughs) when you start to look at yeah i mean that's just just the physics of the situation and and when when i'm able to put numbers to this all it's going to be real apparent that you know what this caller's saying is absolutely god honest truth you know um and here is why here are the numbers that back all this up and uh, so that that's what I'm really hoping to put out there. So it, it's great to hear this type of feedback. You know, here's a guy running in Alaska with a six by two, and he he's wishing he had it back, and he's in a six by four. Now I am the same way. I cringe if I have to get into a six by four. I, I don't like it. 
uh, especially when the weather gets nasty because I like that weight out front and that security that it gives you with the steering traction. And um, putting numbers to all this and demonstrating it, I think, will, you know, flip a lot of switches for people and, and the light's going to come on and they're going to go, oh, now I get it. I understand what he's saying. I know people have said it, but I never understood why. And that's what we're trying to yeah. answer is why is that the case? And until you drive one, it just people will, I, I think people will still have a hard time believing you because just they, they won't, it, until they feel it, it's kind of like that old adage that you're saying, well, this is the way we've done it for 100 years, you know, until they actually right. feel the difference. It, yeah. it's, it's just hard to explain. I'll tell people, and they're like, no, you, you, you're crazy. You, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, no, I've done it. I know what I'm talking about, and there is a difference. And, I mean, it's not just like a slight difference. There's a major difference. And it's so frustrating to know it from the seat of the pants but not being able to express what you're saying in a factual way. You get into that argument with a guy at the counter, you know, at the at the liar's counter, as Kevin likes to say, and say it's better. And it, no, it's not. And y yes, it is. But you can't say, okay, here are the numbers. And and that's what I wanna I wanna be able to put out there and and just put this issue to rest. Um, and I know a lot of people will look at it and they're gonna say, oh, it's bullshit anyway. You just made up a bunch of bullshit. But uh, um, you know, over the years, I completely agree that when you have a six by two spec correctly with the correct axle capacities, it is a superior setup to a six by four in just about every aspect in a non-highway situation um, up to 80,000 pounds. There's no doubt. And, and the, the I agree with you completely would... on that. And you know, I just, I don't get into that much snow and ice, but I just had to do all that accumulating sleet and ice when I went up to Peoria. It handled and powered through it like a dream where other people were having problems. So, yeah, but unless you've experienced it, it sounds like BS to everyone. Right, right. Well, and the other thing, too, is the, the fantastic way that Volvo and, and Mac, I don't know if Freightliner is doing the same thing, but with it to where it will take and release that air pressure off of that dead axle if you're starting to slip. That is the biggest key, and yes, the, the weight biasing, is, correct. Yeah, yep. yeah, because now all of a sudden, instead of having four tires on the ground that's got power to, that's got very limited traction, now you've got two tires that you're putting a lot of weight on, and all of a sudden now you've got now you're meeting the pavement underneath, or you're, or you're you know, you got good contact again, and it it's extremely uh, amazing how much difference that makes. Correct. Yes. And, yes. you know, if you get the spec right, um, you know, there's things that we look at in terms of the suspension, not just the capacity, but the design. You know, the, the Freightliner airliners always been a a good suspension in the in the fact that it's not all that torque reactive. It has limited torque reactivity. Um, Volvo's VOAS, on the other hand, was is fairly torque reactive, and it was never a really great suspension for a six by two. Um, so you know we, we we did change the suspension out for like the the Primax um, suspension that has almost no torque reactivity. So when you're under acceleration, you don't get frame rise and weight transfer to axles you don't want it, and it makes everything very stable. Um, it just makes for a really good system as we limit torque reactivity along with all the other things that we talk about. And uh, 
I, I'm telling everybody out there that's listening, today's six by twos will go anywhere in North America on highway that a six by four will, and it'll do it more efficiently. And it's just, just yeah. a better setup. I agree. All uh, around a better I'm, setup. And I've only got one complaint about my TC. Okay. Whenever, whenever I ordered it, <clears throat> I wanted to get the uh, gear ratios and the underdrive like you've got. And mm -hmm. uh, they told me that they would do it, but they would reduce my warranty on the engine and transmission and all that stuff. By Who told you that? Because, uh, actually, Volvo, because it was... It was too early. It was before you came out with the iTorque. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I, I got you. So I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that, that is early. not the case anymore. <laughs> it was like two months too early before you got them to come to come out with this setup, so I ended gotcha. up getting it without the underdrive but because I didn't want to give up. You know, the, the big thing sure, for me is sure. the, the warranty on the aftertreatment. I didn't want to, you know, with the, with the TC kind of being a newer technology, I didn't want to give up. Two hundred thousand miles on that. <laughs> so, yep. No, I I, I get yeah. it. I get it. Yep. But I, but I love it now. I'm I'm pulling doubles and I run at sixty miles, sixty two miles an hour, and I'm running at a thousand thousand twenty five RPM, and uh, pulling doubles. I'm averaging seven point five to eight, depending on how much the wind's blowing miles per gallon on on Kevin's fuel gauges and, and nice. I think that's nice. pretty fantastic with a six by four and doubles, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, but uh, but I, I like had a see. trip the other day out of Denver where we really got to leverage that extreme overdrive, and from Denver all the way out to almost Kansas City, I guess it was. And I don't know that I was ever over a thousand RPM. Most of the time, I was right at eight hundred and twenty-ish RPM. The entire way across Kansas. Well, it's light, and of course it's downhill, but it allows you to leverage that benefit and really roll up the fuel efficiency. So um, this, these ultra-low RPM engines, they do pull pretty well um, at that lower RPM. It'll surprise a lot of people. All right, hey, I need to uh, I need to jump in here. Um, I got the caller loose. We've got two more callers. I'm actually going to turn off the phone lines um, only because we I, I keep getting reports. The people listening on the app right now, it's like total static and crackly, and it's really hard to listen to. I've tried to troubleshoot it on my end while you guys were talking, and I, I can't find it while we're doing the show. And I don't know if our recording is going to be good or not because I can't check it till we end the show. Gotcha. So I'm going to take these last two calls and we're we're going to wrap this up. Here's where we are on this. This is starting to make me crazy. We're going to have a meeting um, next week and figure out how what we need to do to advance our app getting done. The 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 system we had to hack together to get back on the air in. You know you can you can go do a podcast now in about 30 seconds. There's software everywhere. But what we do is nothing like a podcast. We we are streaming live, which is a complicated piece of this. And we're doing live phone calls, which nobody ever does on podcasts. And we had to hack together so many different pieces to make this all work that when something does go wrong, and it's more likely to go wrong because we have too many pieces and parts, um, it's so tough to troubleshoot. So... I hate that uh, we keep having these little technology glitches, but um, it's going to happen until we get our app done. So uh, I just want to, we'll get to the calls and then we're going to wrap this up for today. Fred, welcome. 
Oh, let me hit that again. Well, there you guys Brad, go you with there? the plastic. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Good there afternoon, we go. guys. There, there you guys go with the plastic trucks trying to trying to act all smart and good, you know? I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you just I, wait. I just we're wanna... we're Joel and I are going to build a carbon fiber truck, and then you can make fun of that. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I'll tell you real quick on the phones. About three and a half years ago, prior to COVID, my niece became a nurse, and we were all having sushi. And she was talking about the phone and the germs, and and, and I had my phone on the table face down. And I said, this phone here has more germs than, than, than the urinal? She says, yeah. So I took it and I licked the screen. <laughs> and she freaked out. And everyone's looking at me. And I, I licked the screen. I says, I'm not going to get sick from this. I mean, I really – and they just went nuts. And I said, what? I said, I'm not going to die. It's okay. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that people get so freaked out about this whole sanitized thing. And they take the moral high ground. They They try to – you know, oh, shame you into being some filthy human being. Do you oh, shower? She was, she was like a pull, like like I like I like I called her a dirty word. You know what I mean? Like right. she was I know. A, like like flabberg like like what the hell just happened? Yeah. <laughs> you they, you these bone liquor you <laughs> I know. It's, it's, and they well, I do and honestly when, we're a little off, you know. When, when you when you when you listen to your to 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 the way they say this, the tone and the attitude, it's like you're a pedophile. I I don't sanitize my phone. Come on. <laughs> I'll tell you. Uh, well, you know, as far as the, I was gonna try. I tried to call yesterday, but I guess you had to. Hey, wait a minute. I just, I just, I just thought of something. Honestly, okay. I think it, the way things have been lately, pedophiles are treated better. Oh, well, they changed the whole <laughs> vernacular behind that. You know, now it's, I know. It's, um, minor, minor, minor attractive, attractive person. person, right? Person, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a whole the language, the whole language thing going on. Well, but anyway, that's well then let's political. let's play let's play their game. I'm going to start referring to myself as a microbe attracted person. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they know what that meant though. That's the problem. Probably not. <laughs> but as far as the uh, older trucks for the newer trucks, I think the newer trucks are by far better especially if you're going to put drivers out there and to run an old truck like I do, you really have to be mechanically inclined to really keep it together. That's a good point. I agree. You know, I mean, I I mean, like I'll tell you the truth, like this, this morning I'm driving up here to load early in the morning. I'm leaving my yard at four o'clock. It's pitch black. And all of a sudden I'm driving down two lane in Texas here and I have no running lights. I don't know why, but now I find it. There was a splice that was coming loose. I fixed it. But again, if I didn't have the the, the wherewithal to know where to look and check, hey. I'd be out of business. Hey, Fred, I have I, I have another thought that goes along with this. You're right. If you want to run that older equipment, you should be pretty mechanically inclined. You should carry tools and parts like we used to, and you fix some of the stuff on the side of the road. I'll say the opposite is true, and it's probably why a lot of us 
kind of fight against this, no matter how mechanically inclined you are and how many tools you carry around. With some of the new trucks, you might just be screwed anyway. Hell, try fixing your own headlights anymore. That is true. That's the only thing that kind of scares me a little bit because I do like to tinker with the trucks. The good news is they don't break very often. They are pretty reliable and dependable, but it is frustrating when you've been, you know, you've kind of been that, that driver or owner operator that always kind of prided themselves on, yeah, a lot of breakdowns. I can just fix myself and keep going. And now that, that just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Well, I'm not nowhere near like Jerry with all kinds of parts in my truck. Believe me, I I don't do that, but I (laughs) I have, I have enough tools to do what I need to do to get myself to a place I can fix it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what the number one trick is, Kevin, that I found on the new truck? What's that? Because there is so many computers. It's just unhooking the negative battery cables. Walk around the truck a couple times, hook them back up. When, whenever anything weird's happening, just reset the computers by doing that. And it, it was so funny because I hit a situation Look, the other day where my window wouldn't go up or down. And, and I'm like, okay, it has to be in a wiring problem. And I, I get to digging around. And my wife said, did you unhook the negative battery cables? I'm like, you know, I rely on that too much. And after I got the trace and all the wires down, I said, I'm going to unhook the negatives. I unhooked them, put them back on. Everything worked fine again, never never a problem again. Look, here's a good rule of thumb. I, I like teaching people how to troubleshoot. Here's a good rule of thumb on troubleshooting. If it has a computer chip anywhere in it, anywhere around it, anywhere near it, the first step in troubleshooting is turn it off, cut all the power to it, and turn it back on. Always, always the first step. And you're right. The trucks have become giant computers. You got a weird problem. How long does it take you? Three minutes. Pull the cable off, wait a couple minutes, put it back on. That's it. And see if it fixes it. And and a lot of Absolutely. times it does. Yeah. Well. Yeah. To, it, and uh, it doesn't so take much time, doesn't cost any money. So just try it. To also uh, make it even easier, a lot of these OEMs, are, are they have the kill switch right by the bottom of the seat. I know the tank outfit I was leased to, all of their, all their, all their Cascadias had that. And they right. yeah. said to the – Be, be careful know. of that one because that kill switch gives people a false sense that they're doing it. <laughs> Being yeah, on okay. the Freightliner camp, that, it does not kill all the power. It kills most oh. of the power. Okay, see, I don't know anything about this. I'm an old time, you know. I'm, I'm I, I like to abuse myself, Henry. So, you if, if you want to see something real interesting that could get you into a situation where you got to unhook your negative battery terminals to straighten it out, turn the key on with the battery switch off and watch right. the dash you know, like Christmas. You know, I got a laugh yesterday. Um, that there were reports about widespread internet outages, Google, Apple, everybody, Facebook, with there were problems all over and everybody's trying to figure out if it was the Chinese spy balloon or whatever it was. And I just got, I, I laughed so hard I was crying. Somebody posted, did Elon think about unplugging Twitter and plugging it back in? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. Oh, just unplug Jesus. Twitter and plug it back in. It'll work. I wanted to also comment wow. on the ELDs. So I had this conversation probably about six or seven years ago with a guy who who had a company up in Jersey, 
about six, about 60 trucks. And he was adamant on how the ELDs was going to take capacity out of the market and make freight better paying, make freight a lot better paying. I think he, and he ran his company. He just sold uh, last year, but he had his guys on the clock when they were loading and unloading and paid them for it. But he had a whole rule of thumb, do it like it's supposed to be done. If everyone did that yeah. and slowed down, it really would make the market go go a lot higher. Freight oh, there's no otherwise. doubt. There is no doubt. Uh, you know, we were saying that when me and my brother looked at this just before the mandate came through, and we were saying that same thing, that rates are going to take off and go to the moon when when they implement this. And, you know, everybody else was opposed to it. Of course, we had been on a form of electronic logbook for 10 years before the mandate. So, you know, we were we were all for it because we saw what was going to happen to capacity initially, and, and we were going to see that spike in rates. The same exact thing will happen if we get a speed limit. Um, rates are going to go up because capacity is yep. going to go down if we limit speed. That's just the way it's going to be. And so it's not right. all a bad thing. I do not support the government saying this is how fast you can drive. You know, I think it should be wide open. But on the other hand, well, if they do roll one through, it's not going to be all downside to it. There will be bright spots, and rates will be one of them. Oh, you know, you know, having a one speed is what I think you're meaning to say you're against, because I'm not in favor of doing away with speed limits on the highway. Right, right. Yes, I, I, I agree. I agree. There, there, there's always well, limits. There should be a, a maximum and a minimum, and we should be able to operate anywhere between the two that we see fit for our operation. We should not right, be mandated absolutely. to have to run one speed. You're exactly right. You know, I had this old truck, and I was when I was leased to the tank outfit, they asked me to run an ELD, and I had no question, no qualms about it. You know what I mean? It's fine. And, I, you know, it actually works in my benefit. You know, and I people would say to me, how can you run an ELD, you know, and all this other stuff? I said, listen, if you can't make a living on 70 hours of work. work <laughs> exactly. Time, why would why the hell would you want to work? Why more? are you out here? Yes. I man, you just hit it. You're oh, so spot on yeah. there. Why in the hell do you want to cheat to work your ass off? to drive rates down. I'll never understand that. I don't get it. You got these guys out there, they wear that, I ran 4,500 miles last week, and they're walking around like they're the stud of the truck stop, and all they're doing is driving everybody's rates down. And, and if, you have, to, if you have to run that themselves. many miles, exactly. If you have to run that many miles to make a living, you're in the wrong business. Oh, yeah. I, I don't get extreme on that. Say tomorrow they limited us to an eight-hour day. That eight hours just became worth what 14 used to be. Yes, yep. yes, I 100% agree. I, you know, this, so hey, not that I don't know. Hey, let's, let, let's me throw in over that. Let, oh, they will. Um, let Let's throw in the exception, <laughs> and that is when you take somebody who absolutely optimized their operation. Their net profit is extremely high. There's no waste in there. They've got good relationships. They're getting good rates. They've maximized everything. And then we hit a year, like last year, where rates went through the roof, and they drove almost 160,000 miles. And what you get then 
is a single truck owner operator, one driver, one truck who netted $300,000 in a year, which is insane. But that's a case where that wasn't a bad idea. Why not take advantage of a year like that when you're that efficient? Sure. Sure. Well, you know, I mean. But what you're saying is the opposite. People that run that hard just to make it. Like, just to stay right. in business. Right. You know, I remember the, back in the day in the, in, the, in the 90s, I, I would do, out of Jersey, I would do three Chicagos in a week. You know, I I did, yeah. I did, I, 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 I was running a reefer for a little while, hauling, hauling beef out of Denver. We'd leave on a Saturday morning and be delivered in Denver Monday morning. You know, one one guy, you know, I mean, you know, just right. the truck and go. Right. And it was that's what it was back then. And I was younger. I had plenty of energy and all kinds of guys on the radio doing the same thing. Uh, but you know what? After doing all of that, I'm still driving a truck after 35 years. It didn't yeah, put me right. in. A, it didn't put me in a mansion, yeah, right. you know, with a yacht and 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 you know. Never does. <laughs> no. And you know what? I done yeah, the same, you know it, it. Done the same stuff. Done the exact same stuff you did. Ran that outlaw ship. Almost yeah, lost my license did. over it early on. Right. It, it was, hey. it was, you know what? It was the stupidest thing I'd done in my career. It just was. There, you know, here's a, the there's 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 a, a difference great between running here. hard and having to run hard. But, that, there well, you go. That's true, Henry. And, You're right. You're 100 percent right. Yeah, and and if we look at this, hasn't it been forever that the the, the liars counter looks at operators like us and says you guys are driving the rates down you take all that cheap freight well you know what it yep. wasn't cheap freight for me i'll show you this was a really really <laughs> profitable load for me and you've been <laughs> accusing me of driving the rates down you're the one driving the oh, rates yeah. down yes <laughs> yes absolutely Listen, i drive i drive a 1988 379 and i can haul freight at a dollar 20 a mile and make a profit there you go that's what's now, I important. Don't want to haul freight, I don't want to haul freight. <laughs> exactly. But right. if I had to, I can. Yeah. Right. And, and that flexibility is nice to have because we all know that's right. Freight markets are not steady. They go up and down, yep. and they will go down. <laughs> and when you get into a severe down market, if you can't haul freight at a buck twenty a mile and be profitable, guess what? You're done. You, got a you, problem. you just lost that everything. Work. Yeah, we're we're starting to find those guys right now. I think 2023, yeah. where they're those guys are going to be everywhere. We'll be talking yeah, about them every I, week. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah. All right, Fred, I cut you loose. We're going to grab this last call of the day just in case uh, we don't get a good recording out of this. Going to go north of the border, Stanley. Welcome. Yes. How you doing? I love the show. Uh, a few times you've talked about the start module scale start. Right. Just to let you know that uh, it's carried Canada-wide now with the uh, truck uh, parts supplier traction. Yeah, see, part of the problem is Canada got a, a national distributor set up. I, I don't know what it is with Canada and Germany. You guys seem to cooperate a lot more than we do, I think. Um, we can't seem to get a distributor here in the U.S., and I haven't had time to find out why not exactly. But that seems to be our problem is there's just no distributor here. 
No, but at least the, the people the, that want them may be able to buy them through the through traction and yeah. Now that's be able to get. Yeah, them. That's good to know. I'll I'll check into that. Maybe maybe we can somehow piggyback on a distributor out of Canada and get them here somehow. I'm sure they'll ship uh, probably wherever if you uh, if you wanted to buy one. Well, yeah. It, it, the the tough part there is shipping costs between the two countries are outrageous. This is already kind of an expensive product. You know, it was expensive at a thousand dollars when we had the original uh, Maxwell. A thousand bucks for you know a battery kind of it was pricey. The scale starts two grand, and now you put in yeah, you know shipping from Canada to here and right. So it, it's um, well, someone who really wants one. Part of an option. To be- right. I I almost wish I I really feel like scale start kind of over-engineered this product, we could, it doesn't have to be wait as minute. good or wait a minute. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, a German over-engineering a product? <laughs> Say it ain't so. No, that would never happen. Right. No offense <laughs> uh, to Mr. Daimler. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Uh, no, that's, uh, that's it, funny. you know, it, it's, um, it, it, it's, it doesn't need to be as big as it is, doesn't need, and I don't mean size-wise, I mean power. The thing's got like 2,500 cold cranking amps or some crazy number, um, way more than what we need. And if they would just cut it back a little bit and get the price more in line, it kind of reminds me of the Road King shocks. And the difference with the Road King shocks is there was no way to engineer them any less and make them still good. When you built a really, really good Class A shock, it becomes too expensive. Kevin, speaking of those shocks that that they got too expensive, have you had any experience with anybody with the Fox shocks? Yeah. I keep hearing that, and I haven't got a lot of feedback on them, no. Well, wait a minute. Isn't that the same company? No. Fox. No, no I'm getting no, confused Fox, now. Fox is your off-road people. You know, your motocross, well, that's where they where they started, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, um, Road King, um, the original company was just King Shocks, and they were Baja and off-road. I mean, that he is, right. Monty, the, the owner, is a legend in that world Um, they make crazy you know six foot long shocks and all this kind of that was that's that's like his bread and butter and then he developed this over the road and called it road king Um, and then there was a ride king around for a while that was pretty similar and they went out of business Uh, 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 almost everybody that's tried a really that was the same company kevin he just had a cheaper version no, no. That, now I know that was that was silver something. He brought out a line yeah. called silver. We were oh, we were yeah, one of his right. vendors. That's right. That's Ride right. King goes way back about twenty years, and it was a similar, really high end shock, but they went out of business too. Well, what what's happened? And like on my truck, they. The, and I, you get to see a lot of the work that goes into it of the valving of the shock matching the spring rates of the springs. And I replaced it with the OEM ones because of that. And, and, and right. we're getting to that point 
that you wonder, okay, if I go with this far out there Fox shock, which looks good, but does the valving match your spring rate? And literally, I set my phone on the corner of my dash, the combination of the ROI cabmate, the AirTech steer, and the whole suspension system. My phone just lays there on the corner of my dash on the wing panel and never moves. Well, it started moving again, and I put new shocks on. Now it's not moving again. So can you match you know, the valving up properly? The problem with the OEM shocks isn't that they don't work. They do. They just don't last. That's the problem. They're not built – there's not enough quality there, and nobody replaces them as often as they should. And I would – I don't want to have to replace my shocks that often. Just give me a better shock. I'll pay more for it. It'll last longer. But we can't seem to get that model working. So, I mean, look no. at the way they build those shocks. They're, they're made out of exhaust piping, and that's the way they've been built for about 70 years. Nothing's changed. It, it's, it's interesting to know where the history of the shock came from, which the original ones were made out of hand air pumps. Yeah, I could see that. People had made their own. But the way I understand it, that's how Monroe got started. They made air pumps. Probably. First. Yeah, probably. Makes sense. All right, Stanley, anything else? Thanks for the heads up on that. I'll, I'll track that down and see if maybe we can get something done. Have a good day. All right. All right, we're, uh, we're going to wrap this up. I really hope we've got a good recording out of this somewhere in the system. We have two backups, so hopefully one of them is clear because this was a good show. Any, anybody have anything they want to wrap up with today? Yeah. Thank everybody for their time listening. Yeah. We started out with if, time. So somebody must have been listening because we got a couple phone calls. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, right. the only thing I've got is um, we've got this little uh, uh, mini series coming out on the iTorque. Um, you know, head over to the the Volvo website or any of their social media feeds, you're going to be able to see that. It's probably the first episode will probably drop after the 16th, I think, this month. And there's several more out there, and I guess depending on how well they're received, we may we may make several more. So check it out and see what you think. Excellent. All right. We will see you back here next week. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy, always do the hard work and master the journey.